All right, and welcome back to Sports Talk. Adrian Broaddus here, Angel Munoz producing behind the glass in our Lubingo studios. We're filling in for Steve Kaplowitz all week long. He'll be back in action next Monday. In, uh, in place of him, it'll be myself, it'll be Jason Craig, Angel Munoz, Sal Montes in the mix all week long here on Sports Talk. We'll have a lot of fun, and we're going to kick things off right. Time to jump out to our phone lines. Welcome on Troy Aikman, Super Bowl champion, Cowboys legend, and NFL broadcaster. He's heading out to El Paso for a special, special event today. Uh, Troy, thanks so much for joining us here on Sports Talk today. Hope you had a great Father's Day, and thanks for the time. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I had a great Father's Day. Uh, so happy Father's Day to all the dads out there as well. Most definitely. Hey, you've rolled out Elite Eight Light Lager across the state of Texas, and, uh, you know, it's in cans and on draft. What's it been like making stops all across the Lone Star State and talking about this? Well, it's, it's been pretty incredible. Uh you know, as you know, we we launched uh, several months ago. It's been a lot of a lot of years in the in the making, uh, and you know, you always kind of wonder how it's going to be received. We were real excited about it when we went to market, and everyone that's tried it, uh, the responses have been really favorable, and and people have gotten excited about it. So touring around the state uh, has been amazing. We've hit a lot of different markets. This is our first time, as you know, to hit El Paso, which is one of the markets that that I've been. Really excited about getting into uh, the responses earlier in the day have been amazing uh, at the various retail stores and really looking forward to this evening and seeing the crowds at some of these stops that we have tonight. But it's really been amazing everywhere we've been. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about that because I got a, I saw that you had a chance to go out to HEB out in in San Antonio, which must have been a lot of fun and meet with those fans. You've been out there in South Texas as well. What have, what have the response been like from some of these different stops you've had across Texas? Well, a lot of these markets are, are areas of Texas that, that I don't get to very often. I, I don't do a lot of public appearances in general, um, and so this really all kicked off right after the NFC Championship game, which was my last broadcast for Fox, and we had the game on a Sunday night, and the very next day on a Monday, uh, I was in San Antonio, and it's been a bit of a whirlwind ever since. I haven't had much of an off season, and it just continues, but it's been really exciting, exposing uh, different parts of Texas, 2-8, and our brand and what we're about. Uh, people have responded really favorably to it. It's a great beer uh, for a lot of different reasons. It's very different from what's on the market. I, I refer to it as a better-for-you beer, and I think that's resonated with a lot of people who are mindful of what they're putting in their bodies. But a lot of Cowboy fans out there have come out. Uh, they've brought their memorabilia and have been really excited, and it's been great because it's just been uh, – it's been a lot of appearances and exposure, I guess, that typically I've not done. So uh, to get out there and just see see how excited people are about the beer, but also for the Cowboys, uh, has been a lot of fun for me. You said it uh, a couple years in the making. Uh, you you see you kind of reflect all the way back to when you started the idea to where it is now. Uh, take us through the journey of how this all got cr- all got started for those who still aren't aware that you you rolled out this beer. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, I met my you know I, I've been involved in the beer business uh, loosely since going back to college. I worked at a distributorship in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I've done some national campaigns. I've got friends that are distributors in Dallas. Uh, in the beer business, and so um, I've never thought, however, that I'd be making my own beer, but I, I met my now partners through a mutual friend, one of whom, Doug Campbell, has spent a career uh, in the beer industry, and, and we got to talking about it, and, and I'm, I do like beer. I'm a light beer drinker, 
And so I said, yeah, it might be something I'd be willing to do, but it's got to be different, and it's got to be a light beer because that's really all I drink. And so he said, awesome. No, that'd be perfect. And and what makes us different is that we have no adjuncts and no fillers, meaning we we don't add any corn, rice, syrup, or, or sugars, and we are the only widely available beer that can say that. We're 100% organic grains. We use antioxidant hops, uh, and yet we're still – at just 90 calories and 2.6 carbs, and we didn't sacrifice flavor. And I think that's what people notice most is when they taste it, that it doesn't taste like your typical light beer. And I think that's what's gotten people enthused about it. Also, the fact that for a lot of people, including myself, the calories and the carbs are important. And so I really made this beer for people like myself uh, that wake up each day with a purpose and a passion and want to be their best, but at the same time, there are moments in life and there are times with family and friends that are to be celebrated. And for me, that's generally around a beer. And I want to be able to have one without compromising all the work that's been put in during the week. And I think eight does that as well, uh, better actually than any beer that's on the market. So I'm real proud of what we came up with. Uh, and like I said, I think people that are uh, very conscious of what they're putting in their bodies and, and putting in the work during the week uh, and not wanting to blow it on one night out uh, have responded very favorably and understand what it is that we're doing. Now, last time we got a chance to talk a little bit about Team 8, the athlete program that you have uh, within uh, Elite 8 like Logger. Uh, now I want to also touch on the, the fact that 8 gives back a percentage of revenue to Texas-based yeah. causes. How, how cool is this right here? It's uh, it's good. I you know we uh, we're very philanthropic. I, you know I have as well. Uh, been throughout my my time since coming to Dallas out of college, and uh, you know I just got back from a music festival a week ago in in my hometown, kind of doing some similar stuff for the community there. And I just think that when you have an opportunity to give back, and we give back to programs that that are consistent with what our brand represents, and 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 that's a healthy lifestyle. And I think that. You know, when my girls are now older, uh, but I've been down those roads with young children and trying to educate them on health and wellness and how to eat properly. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge, especially now with prices the way that they are. Uh, it's a challenge uh, in a lot of schools uh, because of uh, the food that's being served to these children. And so anything that we can do to promote health and wellness uh, for children, for adults, then we are all for. And so, yes, part of the proceeds go to those types of programs. Troy Aikman joining us here on Sports Talk as we kick things off here today on a Monday afternoon. Uh, Troy, you've been busy today with the city of El Paso. You were out at Albertsons, Vista Market, Circle K on the far east side of El Paso, and now you're getting ready at Cabo Joe's to meet with people. Then at 5 o'clock, you're, you're heading out to headquarters in central El Paso, and then you'll close things out on the west side of El Paso at Union Draft House off Sunland. How excited are you to continue here in El Paso? Well, it's, uh, I, I'm beyond excited. Uh, I've, I've been to El Paso a few times. Uh, I was there. I played there in a, in a, in a scrimmage uh, there at the stadium. I was there. UCLA played in the, the Sun Bowl, I guess, one year there in El Paso, and I, I went down for that. The people there have always been really supportive. Uh, I feel a kinship, I'll be honest with you, to the city of El Paso, and it's because of a good friend of mine. He was a backup quarterback to me when I first came to Dallas, Babe Laufenberg. His son, uh, Luke Laufenberg, was a minor there for UTEP. Uh, unfortunately, he was stricken with leukemia, and he passed away before he ever got to play. But 
Babe's given a lot of money to the university. I've supported the cause and have given money to the university. Uh, they've done a lot uh, for Babe's uh, program that he's got, his foundation, and then they started a fight. It's called the Luke Lothenberg Fight Station, which is uh, a smoothie bar for the athletes and others. And so uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Babe was hoping to actually go to El Paso with me, but he's visiting his other son, uh, in Colorado right now and not able to make it. But, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm hoping to get by the university. I'm not certain that I'll be able to. But to be there in El Paso that has always been so good to me over the years when I have been there, and then now to, to kind of have this kinship, as I said, to the city uh, through a good friend who went through a very diff- who's been going through a very difficult time losing his son, uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled to be there and see the people. I want to get to a, a real quick question on the controlled scrimmage in just a second, but what will you be doing at these stops first, Troy? Yeah, so we go in. Uh, I, I'm there 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, I, I serve beer, and then before heading out, I try to sign as many autographs as I can. There's a lot of people there that bring a lot of Cowboys memorabilia, knowing that uh, I, I'm, I'm not readily available at a lot of stops. So I try to accommodate the, the people that show up as best I'm able to. Just know those that are listening that are coming out. Uh, I, I'll, if you do bring something, I hope to be able to get to it, but I may not be able to. Uh, but everywhere we've been through Texas, the, the crowds have been just amazing. And, and it feels good uh, to have the people in support. And so we try to accommodate them. I certainly do. And then we're on to the next one. So it's a, as you just uh, laid out, we've had a busy day already. Uh, we'll continue to have a busy night and uh, see as many of the fans as we can. Now, 25 years ago, we asked you that, well, first off, we asked you this last time you joined us just a couple months ago, but you came here for that controlled scrimmage you just mentioned with the Cowboys. At, at, you know, you joined us a couple months ago and you called the fans electric. What else do you remember about those controlled scrimmages when oh you got a gosh. chance to come? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think I'm, I, I can speak for all of my teammates that were a part of that. It was a lifetime ago. It's, it's hard to believe that it's been so long. But uh, when we showed up to have the stadium as filled as it was and the people as excited as they were, uh, it was incredible. I mean, I had never seen anything like it. I don't know that anybody has since. It's, uh, it's obviously a unique fan base. Uh, and so to think that you can go have a controlled scrimmage, as you said, and have a stadium full of fans to watch that, uh, I've often said that you know we hear a lot from the NFL about everything being about the fans, that this is about the fans. And I, I've always felt that in order to really prove that, that it'd be nice if in the preseason, if maybe you had a full preseason game, in some of these markets, like if you are with the Cowboys, have a preseason game in El Paso. If you're with the Philadelphia Eagles, have a preseason game in Hershey, Pennsylvania. But expose the NFL to parts of your state that don't typically get a chance to either travel to Dallas to watch a game or watch an NFL game, period. Uh, but we got to experience that when we went down to El Paso for that scrimmage, and it was, it, was, it was something to see for sure. You mentioned the Live Like Luke Laufenberg fight station that's at UTEP uh, with the smoothies that you mentioned. They had the Live Like Luke fundraiser back in May uh, with Babe organizing it out in Dallas. Uh, head coach Dana Dimmel from UTEP along with quarterback Gavin Hardison got a chance to head out there. What was it like meeting both Coach Dimmel and, and Gavin Hardison in person, Troy? Well, it was great. Uh, Coach Demmel, uh has been so supportive of the Laufenberg family. Uh, he came to Luke's uh, 
funeral and and spoke and eulogized Luke um, and has just been so supportive that it's been really amazing. And Gavin, I got a chance to to visit with him. Uh, it's my understanding, I think I'm speaking correctly, that he'll wear number two, which was Luke's Correct. number. And uh, and he was really proud to wear that uh, because of what it represents. And it says a lot. It says a lot about Luke that here was a guy who I knew Luke. I, I, I knew Luke since he was born because of my relationship with his father, babe. But for a guy who never played a down in a game uh, for UTEP to be uh, remembered the way that he has been, has been really impressive. And so Gavin is excited about the season. I'm looking forward to following him. I visited with him on the phone just to let him know how much I appreciated and the Loffenberg family appreciated him wanting to wear number two and what that represents. And I'm a big fan, I'll be honest, of the UTEP Miners. And I know they had a really solid season last year. I'm hoping that that continues, but I'll be pulling for him each week. You and Joe Buck will be calling Monday Night Football games this year for ESPN. How does a Monday night game uh, versus a Sunday impact your prep? Uh, it doesn't. Uh, I guess the only real difference is that I'll be afforded a little more time on the weekends uh, at home since it's pushed back a day. And the other nice part of it is is that I'll get a chance to watch uh, the games that I want to watch on Sunday uh, without any conflicts of games of my own. So that'll be fun. And I think... You know, I was just texting with Joe Buck uh, earlier this morning, and he was saying how excited he is. We're still a few months away from our first game, but how excited he is about this season. And and I am too. And even though we've been doing it 20 years now, we're going into our 21st year, there, there is a renewed enthusiasm for us. Uh, and so we're looking forward to that. Uh, the only game on, of course, on Monday night uh, will be awesome as well. We've done the Thursday night broadcast, of course, for the last four years, so there's some similarities there in that it's the only game, it's a primetime game. But to be a part of a historic broadcast booth, I just read the book, Monday Night Mayhem, on the history of Monday Night Football. I grew up watching Monday Night Football, as I'm sure you did and most everybody did that's of our age. And and to be able to remember Howard Cosell and Don Meredith and, and Frank Gifford and all the others that have come after that, now to be a part of that legacy, it's uh, it means a lot. And so we're really excited about it. And there's been so many great off-season storylines, Troy, like uh, the quarterbacks that have been moved around the league, like Russ going over to Denver. You've had wide receivers getting paid and getting moved. Uh, Ten new coaches all across the league. I mean, there's so much to be excited about when it comes to the NFL this year. Yeah, it seems that there there always is. You know, I mean, uh, I think that's what's kind of great about the NFL. Uh, it, I, I don't know that it was planned back many, many years ago when the NFL was formed, but it it's interesting how football has just fit uh, today's, I guess, attention span, uh, what what people want to see, the, the way that now there's 17 regular season games, but every game during the regular season is an event. You know, you're not flooded with just a ton of games like you like you see in some of the other sports. You know, so there's uh, there's some drama each and every week. There's a buildup to these games. I think a lot of people, you know, it is it is such a popular sport. So many people just, they, they chomp at the bit. And it's why there's the USFL. It's why there's going to be the XFL. That there's just this insatiable appetite for professional football. Uh, and the NFL is obviously the king of all that. So a lot of moving parts this year, as you said. Some players moving, some big-time players, the wide receivers, the coaches. Uh, and then there will be drama as we move through the season. There's, there's, there's always some storylines that are a lot of fun, and you never really know. And I think that's one of the great things as well. It's been going on for a long time, but 
you know, any team, even the teams that, that finished uh, last a year ago, are capable of having a great run, a Cinderella run, and, and maybe going all the way. So it gives every fan base hope. And I think that's one of the encouraging things as well. One more time for all our listeners today, Elite Eight Light Lager. It will be make, uh, Troy Aikman will be making appearances. He's out at Cabo Joe's right now, 7942 Gateway Boulevard East. He'll be there for another 20 minutes and then heading out to headquarters, which is in central El Paso, starting at 5, 2910 Tularosa Avenue and closing out the night 6 o'clock at Union Draft House at its Sunland Park. That's 7030 Sunland Park Drive. Troy, thank you so much for all the time today. Can't wait for the rest of the night here in El Paso for you all. I appreciate it, my man. Good being on with you. Take care. All right, you too, Troy. That's Troy Aikman joining us here on the phone lines as we continue here on Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, more phone calls and tweets as Sports Talk continues right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, welcome back here on Sports Talk. Adrian brought us here along with Angel Munoz, Jason Craig, Salmonte is going to be involved this week as well in the mix. Time to continue our conversation talking about the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. It's coming up this week, the banquet uh, on Wednesday evening. Uh, the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame class of 2022 is about to be inducted, and one of their newest inductees is joining us here live in our Lubingo studios. His name is Ken Lucero, and he joins us here uh, as part of the living athlete category uh, um, here on Sports Talk. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for joining us here on Sports Talk today. Uh, first off, your reaction of just uh, knowing that you would be inducted into the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Well, well thank you, uh, Agent, for having me here. And, uh, yeah, my reaction, I was a little bit shocked, you know. It, they remembered an old distance runner, right? And it's usually, you know, a star football player, a basketball player. So um, I'm just real real honored and, and humbled and, and still a little bit shocked. But, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate uh the honor, definitely. Well, again, congratulations. I'm super excited for you and your family uh, getting this huge honor. Now, take me back to Coronado back in the late 80s, early mm. 90s, as, as far as what Coronado looked like and who you were as a person. Because, you know, I was doing a little bit of digging and, and I realized that you had a love for basketball and you had a love for track and field and you had to make a huge decision in your senior year. Yeah, well, um, you know, my brother and sister ran, and uh, so I was involved in running. My dad uh, brought me up, taking me to all the UTEP events and the track meets, and and so I loved UTEP track. We were the, the Alabama track back then, right? right. UTEP was uh, very well known, and they were the best uh, program in the nation. So I followed all the track guys and distance runners, and I, I grew up loving UTEP track and cross country, and, and my brother and sister ran, so... Uh, but I loved basketball. You know, my dad used to take me to basketball games too, and I just uh, I played every sport. But, but I fell in love with basketball, and that's what I decided to do in high school. Um, our high school coach, you know, wanted us to commit to basketball, be at open gym, and didn't really want us to do other sports. So I I, I kind of felt like I had to commit. So I chose basketball. But um, the interesting thing is, Coach Jeff Denver, the late Coach Jeff Denver, who coached my brother and sister at Coronado. Uh, wanted me to, to, to run. So every year he kept, you know, persistently asking me if I was going to run for him every year. And, uh, you know, I, I loved basketball too much, didn't want to jeopardize my, my, my spot on the team. And finally my senior year, you know, he wouldn't quit. He just kept, uh, just kept at it. And, uh, you know, finally before my senior year, I, I went home and, and I discussed it with my dad and 
my, you know, we, we just, uh, I said, Dad, what do you think? Should I run my senior year? You know, I got one more shot. Coach Denver, I think I can do it. You know, I used to win the mile in elementary school, and, and I used to run on my own. I knew I, I, I could probably do okay. Um, and my dad just uh, probably gave me the, the greatest advice that changed my life, you know. He said, you only go to high school one time. It's a small percentage of your life. You never want to have any regrets. If you want to do it, go for it, you know. And um, so I took his advice, went to see Coach John the next day at school, and he was alone in his biology class. And I was scared to death, Adrian. <laughs> I thought he would kick me off the team. Um, I said, Coach John, uh, I've got something to, uh, to tell you. And he goes, what is it, Lucero? And he gave me that look, you know, and I'm like shaking. But um, I said, Coach, I, I decided uh, I'm going to try running cross country this year. I'm a senior, and I, I want to try it, you know. And he said, well, uh, you know, surprisingly, he was really supportive, you know. And he said, um, well, if that's what you really want to do, Lucero, go for it, you know. So my senior year, I ran, and, and the first meet, I was hoping just to maybe make the top 25, you know all these great uh, local runners and, you know, I'd read about them and heard about them. I was nervous as heck, my first cross country meet. And I actually finished fifth and I was like, uh, you know, I I was a little bit shocked that I I did well. So that really helped my confidence. And then I went on to do, uh, do, do well at state. I got sixth at state and, you know, it just, it changed my life. I started getting offers from different schools, Texas Tech, Kansas, Texas, Texas A&M, and I really didn't get anything from UTEP, and that's was my dream school, you know, and um, it was funny, but the the last week, uh, the, the signing week, it was the last week to sign, I had made my decision I was going to sign with Texas Tech, and I'm sitting in my art class at Coronado, and I was actually in Coach Dember's wife's class, she was my art teacher, Mindy Dember, and it was the middle of the day, and um, a couple of gentlemen walked in and talked to uh, Miss Denver, and and Miss Denver walked over to me and said, "These are track coaches or cross country coaches from UTEP, and they want to take you out of class, and they're going to drive you down to UTEP." And I was like, hey, that, "Wow, that's pretty cool, you know." So I left with them, and we got into a UTEP van and went down to the campus, and they showed me they were just recruiting me last minute, I guess, and and that's all I needed, and I ended up signing with UTEP, but um, you know, just just by but by chance you know um i i decided to run and it just changed my life and and my dad kind of just pushed me over the over the top with his advice and i really appreciate that i'm forever grateful to him for telling me to to do it you know um but that was kind of my my story at at coronado and I, i did play basketball my senior year i didn't get cut off the team or anything and uh ended up running track after basketball and I got seventh in the state meet in the 3200. Um, and that was the the race Eric Henry set the state record that lasted for like 35 years, 30 years, I guess, um, before it was broken. So when people t- ask me how I do the state meet, I, I always tell them, well, it was the race that Eric Henry broke the record. <laughs> Said, tell them I was seventh. But uh, I believe I, I ran like a 926 or something, but that was my PR at the state meet. Yeah. Wow, that's that's an yeah. unbelievable story. I love the recruiting story right there, Ken. Um, you know, take me back again. I, I want to really lay the foundations there because you talked about UTEP being kind of like the Alabama in track and field, but the interesting part is UTEP was really good in basketball as well during that period. So you had these like t- two of your loves kind of pulling your string by the school that you loved in UTEP. You had the basketball team having success. You had the track and field 
field team hanging banners left and right. I mean, just what was it like being in El Paso around that time and just kind of the excitement and buzz around UTEP athletics? Oh, it was awesome, Adrian. I mean, it was just we were on the map. I mean, we had the bear Don Haskins coming out of the tunnel every every game, and it was just uh, – uh, he's just an icon, you know. It was amazing being at a game and watching Tim Hardaway and Antonio Davis and Greg, I mean, all these NBA players and uh, winning WAC championships in consecutive years and going to the NCAA tournament and being in the Sweet 16. I mean, if it's it's hard. I'm just glad I lived during that time. The, the, the Don Haskins Center was sold out, you know, 13 consecutive games and the place was rocking. No one wanted to play UTEP here and Don Haskins. You, you had a hard time getting teams in, and when they would come in, we would we'd beat them, right? Georgetown, Indiana, um, you know, some of those memorable games. But and then just and then track season, and you get you go to the the, the uh, UTEP Invitationals, and and we got UTEP guys going one through three in every race, especially in the distance races, you know, and and you're watching them on national TV. Back then, Adrian, they were showing. The NCAA meets on ABC primetime. Wow. And you would see, you know, all these UTEP minor guys winning national championships. And as a kid, that made a huge impact on me. You know, I'm like, man, I see these guys running up and down Mesa all the time. And then you're seeing them on ABC win the national championships. We've got the greatest runners in the world right here running up Mesa Street, you know. And it was just, uh, it was awesome being being a UTEP fan back then. And I was a... And I was a student, and uh, you know, we went went to a bowl game, and um, of course, we went and saw him at some NCAA regional tournaments in basketball, and it was just, it, it was an awesome time to be a UTEP minor um, fan, really, you know, and and just to be part of their athletic program later on it was just phenomenal to represent the minors, and I think they impacted me as a kid at a time when they were, like you said, so successful that man, I'm going to be a part of this, you know, and uh, and I wanted to represent because especially in track, a lot of the guys were foreigners, you know, and and you didn't see a lot of El Pasoans representing UTEP, you know, and I, and, I, and that kind of drove me. Um, I wanted to, when I decided I was going to run and, and, and I had a little success, um, I remember as a freshman, I went into the UTEP track office and, and on the wall, they had all the All-American certificates of all, I mean, there are hundreds of them, right, at UTEP. And and I thought to myself, man, I, I want to be up there with those guys, you know, uh, just a local kid up there with these, my heroes growing up, really. You know, Suleiman Nambui and Michael Misioki, Wilson Wagwa, those are three of my, my favorite runners. And, uh, and I used to see them, I, I remember as a kid, just driving down Mesa, and they were running in the medians before they landscaped them right back in those days. They were just like, it was just like gravel. You could run on them. And they would run right in the middle of the street. And they'd be running in a pack with all, through all this traffic, like at six-minute pace, you know, on a regular run, just up the, up, up the street. And it was really cool to see. And I always dreamed one day of, of running with them. I felt like one day I can run with those guys. How cool would it be to be in that rhythm and... And, uh, you know, it's kind of a dream looking out the window. And, and uh, so, you know, when I, I was a freshman at UTEP, I wanted one thing I control is to maybe be with those guys. Maybe I, I couldn't run with them because they were a lot older, right? And, and, and I, it was a different time. But I thought maybe I can get up there like they did and represent UTEP. So um, I didn't tell anybody that, but that was my, my goal. 
and I worked, you know, I, I just really, I think a lot of my success, I just worked, outworked everybody, you know. I wasn't the most talented, fastest guy. Um, you know, I was just a skinny little redheaded guy here from El Paso, you know, just trying to accomplish a goal and, and, and it really drove me. And I just, I just, I just worked my butt off cause I wanted to be on that wall, you know? And, uh, so finally my senior year, I have an opportunity to make it to the national meet. And that was my chance to get on that wall. And we had to finish in the top three at the, uh, regional meet, the conference regional meet. And I got fourth. I got out kicked right at the end. So my dream was over, right? And uh, I went back, got to El Paso, and, you know, um, Coach Kitchens, we showed up to, to practice. I figured to turn in our uniforms or a final end-of-season speech or something. And he called everybody in the locker room, and he said, I got some great news, he told the team. And, and we were all looking at him, and he goes, I got a call from the NCAA, and Kenny Lucero is an at-large bid to go to the NCAA championships. And I couldn't believe it. My dream's alive, you know. How did that happen? I didn't realize they had at-large bids like in basketball. Wow, that's a great story. Yeah, so I was like, man. And Coach Kitchens, I remember, said, you better go get a run in because I hadn't run for a couple days since I got back from the I was going to say, when you get back like that, you're probably thinking, season's over. I'm going to load up on ice cream. I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm done. This is, it's over right here. Exactly, Adrian. You got it. I was like, that's it. It's over, you know. And uh, I didn't worry about what I was eating or – or drinking or anything at the time, but, uh, you know, he told me go out, get a run, and, and I had a week to train, and, you know, I it was in Tucson, Arizona. The temperature was like 75 degrees. It was, wow. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was in December, early December, I believe, late November, early December, and uh, it was at El Conquistador Country Club, a beautiful course on the foothills of the mountains, and it was like carpet. And the conditions couldn't be better. I mean, it was just beautiful. And I remember doing strides uh, before we started the race. And, and just the, the greatest runners in the nation in the world were, were there. You know, Martin Kino from Arizona and John Brown from England. And, and I'm like, this is incredible, you know. And, uh, but I felt like I had nothing to lose. I was lucky to be there. I got a second chance. So, um, you know, I was pretty loose. And the race started... And uh, about three miles in, we're all, it, it was a slow race, and we're all still still in the race. It's like a big wave, and I could see the leaders maybe, you know, 50 feet in front of me. And it was like, wow, this, I'm in it, you know. I feel great. When's the race going? And then finally at three miles, and it's a, it's a 10K, 6.2 miles. And at three miles, the race started, and certain guys took off. And, and I felt, man, I feel good. I'm already halfway done. If I can just hang in there, see what happens. And, uh, of course, my family made the trip, and, and you had to be top 25 to be All-American. So uh, they knew that, and they were telling me what place I'm in. And I remember my dad standing at a corner, you're in 36th place, you know, with probably a couple miles to go. And uh, I was just so focused. I was so close, you know, 36. Man, it's, it's achievable, you know. And, yeah, that last mile I just – just was in a zone and I remember guys passing me and I would pass a few and it, we were just kind of jostling you know everybody's good in that meet so there's no separation and I remember just seeing the finish line and just giving it all I had I wasn't sure what place I was in at that point and uh we I, I must have dove in with a by 10 15 guys it seemed like and in a cloud of dust you know and 
when the dust cleared, you know, I found out I was 15th place and it was like, wow, it, it was just, it just a real shocker, you know, and that I had a second chance to accomplish a dream that I wanted to as a freshman, missed out and then got an, and then got the chance to, to actually accomplish that goal was just an incredible for me. You know, it was so satisfying. It, it felt, felt pretty cool to do that. And so I was able to get on that wall with all my heroes and, and, and close my career, you know, in, in, in the way I wanted to. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. And I, 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 you know, I thank God probably had a little, there was probably a little, uh, had a hand in that. Um, of course the support of my parents. I mean, there's so many people to thank along the way, even coach Kenny, John, my basketball coach, um, somebody asked me, Hey man, if you would have run all four years in high school, do you ever think maybe you could have won state or, or whatever? And I, I said, you know what? Things happen for a reason. And I probably, maybe Coach John's a tough coach, man. He prepared me mentally and physically. Um, and I think that I have to give some credit to him for the success I had as a runner because he, he was tough. He was tough on us. And so maybe if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have done as well, you know. So um, I, I think that I had a lot of mileage left too, only running one year. So there's a lot of factors I think, uh, you know, that uh, that go into that. But um, yeah, it, it, it was a great experience. Remarkable story. I love it. I, I love you. the fact. So again, 1991 cross country all American. Uh, you were a three time WAC champion in the 5,000 meter run, uh, in both in indoor and outdoor. Do you have a preference on on what you preferred, indoor outdoor? I liked outdoor. Yeah, I liked outdoor. Indoor, you have to run more laps. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. It's a little, you know, a little more redundant. But um, yeah, I loved uh, just the 12 and a half. You know, I, I, w- I wasn't fast enough to run the 1500, um, 10,000, you know, 25 laps. That's that was a, I only ran the 10,000 at the conference meets to score points, basically. So 5,000 was my best event in track. And I loved cross country. I just loved the hills and, you know, I, I used to embrace the hills. And, and I think that's what one of my advantages w- w- was in, in running cross country is um, I loved hills. And I, th- I don't think most people love hills. You know, I think they probably hate hills. So I always felt like I, I had an advantage there on the downhill and uphill. You know, there's uh, a strategy to both. So, um, you know, I, I embraced cross country for sure. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to take a time out right now. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up with Ken Lucetto, one of the newest El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame class of 2022 inductees. Again, the induction ceremony taking place this Wednesday, June 22nd, 6 o'clock for the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. We're going to take a brief time out. When we come back, we'll close out the hour with Ken Lucetto right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk. Adrian brought us along with Angel Munoz, closing out the hour here. Coming up in hour number two, Fred Albers talking the U.S. Open from yesterday. What a what a great finish that was. Uh, we've got Ken Lucetto in studio right now. We're talking about the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. He's one of the newest uh, Class of 2022 inductees, and he's joining us here in our Lubingo studios. Uh, again, ran cross-country and track at Coronado. He was uh, a standout at UTEP with uh, the track and field team. He won several titles, named NCAA All-American in, in cross-country in 1991. Uh, Ken, I didn't ask you this. What was your workout regime? You said you out- outworked everybody. What was the, the workout regime like for you uh, w- when you were back at UTEP? Well, I, I didn't do a lot of mileage, actually. I, I think I averaged probably about 63, 
miles a week, um, which is kind of low when you talk to you know other college runners and stuff. But I think every run I did was 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 quality, you know. And that's what I tell my my young runners is is you don't have to. It's not about how many miles per week you do. Don't do don't give so much emphasis to that. But make sure every run, you do everything right, all the details, and every run's productive. You know, if it's a recovery run, make sure you're doing it at the right pace and you're listening to your body and you're not running too hard or, or too slow. And, and uh, you know, it was just uh, every run had a purpose, you know. And I think uh, my long runs were 15 miles on Sundays and I would do uh, two a days. I'd do morning runs on Monday, Wednesday, Friday of five miles, and then show up to practice in the afternoon. We might have a seven miler or eight miler. So, you know, you add that up, it might be 65, 60 miles, you know. So, um, so it wasn't crazy. I think the, the most miles I ran in one week was maybe 80, 85, you know. I didn't have a race that week, and I think I just, you know, just ran some, some long runs all week. But, um, yeah, but you know, I just, I really just outworked. I, I outworked. Every, I tried to outwork everybody. You know, is is was my strength. I wasn't naturally talented. I wasn't super fast. You know, I, um, I just, uh, just wanted it more than everybody else. You know, and um, you got to have that mental and and physical throttle going at maximum every race. You know, and I think the one thing I was most proud of. Uh, besides the championships and even the All-American is I didn't quit in, in any race I ever ran in my life. You know, I was full throttle mentally and physically and and uh, never had a bad race. I might have not finished very well. I think I ran one time when I was I had a fever and and, uh, you know, I was sick. And, and but I still gave it the effort and ran the hardest race I could run for that day. So, um you know, when, when runners sometimes tell me I had a bad race, I could have run harder, I could have done better. I'm like, well, why didn't you, you know? You you got to be full throttle mentally and physically every race from start to finish. And, and uh, you know, that, that's what I did. And um, and so, um, you know, I I just, for the, the short time that my career lasted, I just uh, tried to run every race harder than the last race. Sure. And, uh, you know, the degree of doing that, you know, uh, but that's the mentality uh, that you have to have. Um, and I tried to run uh, after college, you know, professional, and thought maybe I can win some money in road races. And and my hero looking out that car window on Mesa Street was Suleiman Nyambui, the greatest collegiate runner of all time. And he uh, be- befriended me, and I became real close to him, and we started training together outside of college, which is a really cool story because oh, wow. here's my hero that I never thought I'd ever meet probably when I was a kid. And then here we are training together. We used to get up at 5.15 in the morning and run along the levee, run 10 miles every morning from like where Mount Cristo Rey is to Country Club Road and back. And it was just a gravel road with no interruptions. And, um, you know, it's just really cool to um, have this hero that you idolized as a kid and then to end up ending your career running along and, and dreaming that you wanted to run with them. You bet you could run with them and you would want to run with them one day and then actually doing it. And I remember one run in particular, Adrian. Um, it was a long run. We were running 18 miles. It was just me and Suleiman. It was a fall day. The sun was going down. Perfect running weather. I mean, it was like low 70s or something in, uh, in the fall. And we were running kind of late in the afternoon. And 
And we didn't say two words to each other. We ran 18 miles out and back. And that fire road, there's like no interruptions. You're just in a rhythm. And I could just hear the the gravel uh, from under our feet on every stride. And we were just mirroring each other. And it was it was unbelievable. We didn't speak two words together, but we spoke in the rhythm of our, our run. And we were coming back, and the sun was, was coming down. It was getting dark. And we, was, we just picked up the pace, and we must have been going under six-minute pace, trying to beat the darkness. And it was just an incredible run. You know, we, we, we were just in sync. We were mirroring each other. And I'm running stride for stride with the greatest collegiate athlete of all time, my hero growing up as a little kid. And it was the, the greatest run. I felt fantastic. We ran 18 miles. We, I think we ran the last half mile in the dark. And uh, finally he looked over at me and he said, uh, and, and, and I'm not saying this to, to, to brag or say, or, you know, anything like that, but the moral of the story is, is he looked over at me, he said that's, that in his, in his accent, that's the greatest run I've ever had with anybody. And that's the greatest compliment I've ever received. I couldn't believe it. And I'm thinking to myself during the run, man, this is the greatest run. I can't believe how fast and how far we're going in perfect stride. And it's just the enjoyment of the run. And the, the, I think the moral of the story is that I figured he's probably been on 100 runs like that. Um, but he looked at me and said, that is the best run I've ever been on with anybody. And the fact that he acknowledged the run, that he thought it was as good as I did, and he's run with so many of the world's greatest athletes at such a high level. Is it was just phenomenal to me, and uh, um, you know, just just uh, the fact that the guy I, I I idolized growing up, I ended my career with on the greatest run that he had ever run on, and it's it was just an incredible feeling. And I, I've got that written in my log, and my running log, and sometimes I have to look back at it to make sure it wasn't a dream. So I find that day, and, and I have a note in there, Suleiman Niambui said it was the best run he had ever had with anybody. And, uh, you know, remove me from that story. It's just the the moral of of of, uh, of a thinking as a kid, you, could, you wanted to run with somebody, and then actually ending up doing it. And it being something special, you know, it's just uh, I couldn't have dreamed it any 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 other way. But I've only shared that story with my dad because I, you know, most people probably wouldn't believe me, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it 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 was a true story, and it was a great run. I mean, I can believe we were just flying down that levee for 18 miles and didn't say two words to each other, and we were stride for stride. You know, it was just like we were one. And, uh, you know, he's the, one of the nicest guys. And, and uh, you know, I was lucky to be, um, you know, to be uh, for him to be in my life and, and befriend me like he did, you know, because uh, he's, he's a class act. And uh, he just got inducted into the Collegiate Track and Field Hall of Fame. I think he's the first guy. They just started, and he's the first one that was inducted. Wow. So it that starts tells with you, him. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, he is the greatest collegiate athlete. I believe he won uh, – uh, 15 or 16 individual NCA titles, uh, 21-time All-American, um, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest athletes of all time, you know, in UTEP history. So, um, you know, that was just uh, I needed to share that with you because um, it kind of uh, it was the beginning and the end of of m- my story with the guy that kind of inspired me. Of course, uh, yeah. So. 
That's an that's an unbelievable story. You you have a remarkable story, Ken, and I really really appreciate you stopping by our Lubin Go Studios. We're out of time this hour, unfortunately, but uh, did want to mention now you're you're uh, teaching cross country and track and field out at America's High School. You've been doing it for the past 16 years. Uh, you will be inducted along with the rest of the class of 2022 Hall of Fame here in El Paso on Wednesday, uh, June 22nd. So again, congratulations on all the great success and thank you so much for spending all this great time with us here on the show today. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, I appreciate it, and, and I'm real excited. And again, just honored to go in with the class, Jim Bowden, Jimbo Bowden, as Strells used to call him. And when I think of high school running backs, you know, Stephen Lee always comes to mind. He was phenomenal, you know. And uh, Brian Kennedy's done so much for sports, for our community, and I've known him for a while. And and I met uh, Coach uh, Crawford the other day. What a, a nice, humbled guy. And um, yeah, it's just exciting, and, and uh, I'm really, really humbled and honored, and and uh, and you know, uh, happy all these guys are being recognized. Thanks again, yep. Ken. You bet. Thanks, Adrian. All right, that's Ken Lucetto here on Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout right now. When we come back, Fred Albers talking U.S. Open right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, and welcome back to Sports Talk, hour number two underway. Adrian brought us here along with Angel Munoz filling in for Steve Kaplowitz today. Time to hop out to our phone lines. Welcome on one of our favorites, Fred Albers. He joins us from PGA Tour Radio out in Sirius XM. Uh, he joins us today following a great, great day out in the U.S. Open yesterday. Fred, hope you had a great Father's Day. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for asking me. You're right. It was a, a really memorable Father's Day with me out celebrated tonight when I get back to El Paso uh, with family, but uh, that was really a thrill to uh, to walk with Matt Fitzpatrick uh, the entire weekend and to, to see what I think is arguably uh, perhaps the greatest ball striking round in the history of the U.S. Open. He missed one green and only three fairways, and it came down to the last putt to decide a champion. Just a, uh, a, a tremendously entertaining uh, week of golf and just a, a, a great personal milestone for me to be with that final group on the final day at a historic open at the country club well let's let's jump right into it because uh you mentioned just that putt on 18 that really won things for uh matt fitzpatrick but i look at just the tightly contested leaderboard that happened yesterday for the u.s open what a great finish but his second shot on 18 the ball was in the shallow part of the bunker and by some miracle it lands on the green behind the pin can you take us through that shot the second shot on 18 with matt fitzpatrick and what he was able to do well, first, the real drama, I think, played out on, on 17, where he had a putt just above the hole. That's the famous Justin Leonard Francis Lamette Green, where history has been decided on a number of occasions, just within about a five iron of Francis Lamette's house. And he just nursed that down the slope. He was scared to charge it. He had a chance for a two-shot lead with one to play and didn't go in. So now we go to 18, and there is a prolonged discussion on the team between Matt Fitzpatrick and his caddy, Billy Foster, should I hit driver? Should I hit tree wood? They finally decide on the tree wood. It is just essential that you hit that fairway on the 18th hole and son of a gun. He hooks it into the bunker. And the first view that I think viewers got uh, was at a, an incorrect angle. It looked like he was right up against the tongue, wouldn't be able to get it out uh, at all, or at least uh, on the green. And then if you walked up and stood directly behind the ball, you understood that he had a narrow opening. I mean, a foot to the right. He's got to chip out, and maybe we go to a playoff, and maybe there's a different winner of the U.S. Open. But he was just in the perfect position, and to his credit, just put that 9-iron perfectly uh, some 20 feet or so above the cup. 
Now, let, let's go all the way back to Saturday because uh, the average score on Saturday was 73.5. How much did Saturday really test some of the best players in golf? It was a brutal day of golf. You know, the golf course was firming up because of the wind. Uh, the fairways were getting faster. The greens were, were lightning. There's so much undulation and slope on these greens. I don't think we've ever played a course with as much slope and undulation. And yes, I'm including Augusta National. Uh, in that number, including the fairways. Uh, the, the, the real factor was the wind. You had 25 mile per hour gusts, and there's so many trees at the country club that it's swirling with an inconsistent wind. You really, really had to keep your patience out there on Saturday. Every par you made on Saturday passed people. That's what it really seemed like. Hey, I, I want to ping around to uh, just a, a couple different golfers. Will Zalatoris, six top ten finishes in nine majors. He's uh, been second place three different times in majors. Um, you know, he said yesterday at, at just 25 years old, he's three shots away from being a three-time major champ. Uh, just a tough way for Will Zalatoris to go out. And uh, another great performance by him over the weekend. Just couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't do what it takes uh, to actually win it all. So I would say Will Zalatoris right now is the best ball striker on the PGA Tour. I know he's number one in stroke game approach to green, and he's 160th in stroke game putting. And he has putted better. And if you talk to him about his putting, he gets a little bit defensive about it. He said, I've made great strides in my putting. That 160 isn't an accurate reflection of how I putted in the last six weeks. And this is a cut some six weeks ago at the AT&T Byron Nelson in Dallas. And instead of moping, used that time off and said he found something in his putting stroke. Lost in a playoff to Justin Thomas. Now one shot away from a playoff. But he had two putts. Two putts from inside of 15 feet at 17 and 18. He makes those two putts. He's the U.S. Open champion. He makes one of them. He goes to a playoff. He missed them both. And he loses by a shot. It's just tough because uh, somebody like this, you know, two bogeys on the first five holes, but then he gets hot. He birdies four of the next six, then had a two-shot lead. I, I thought at one point Will was going to going to run away with it yesterday at the U.S. Open and was going to really, uh, you know, finally win his first major. It just he can't get over that hump. Is there a secret to him just kind of getting over that hump, uh, you know, mentally or or maybe it's in his game? What do you think, there, Fred? Well, I think the number one rule to win is put yourself in position enough times and breaks go your way. When you miss a 15-foot putt by a quarter of an inch, there's a little bit of luck involved there, a blade of grass sends it to the left instead of the right. If you put yourself in position enough times, you are eventually going to get a win. You are going to get the breaks to go your way. So he is doing the right thing. Uh, I thought he was composed. Uh, didn't see him rushing his swing. Uh, and you are correct. Really a shaky start. And he had a wonderful shot into the par 3-6 uh, to within three feet, made birdie there, had a tap in birdie at, at the 7-3, and that approach easily could have gone in the hole. I mean, it sat right on the edge of the cup. He tickled it. You talk about a, a roll of the dice. That goes in. Uh, you know, maybe it's entirely different. But you're correct. I think it's a good point. He made that birdie on 6 and seemed to re-engage and was a factor uh, the rest of the way in. Do you look at 15 as maybe that difference ma- uh, difference maker between both those golfers and Zalatoris and Fitzpatrick? I mean, Zalatoris misses the fairway. He ends up bogeying that hole. Fitzpatrick also misses the fairway, but then he birdies that hole. So credit to, to, to Matt Fitzpatrick. He had 225 in and laces a five iron. Uh, downhill, downwind, within 15 feet and makes that putt. But once again, uh, Fitzpatrick hit a much worse tee ball. But it was so bad, 
It got outside the gallery ropes into the gallery where the people had trampled ground and grass. Now, it was a bare lie, but the back of the ball is exposed. And as long as the back of the ball is exposed for PGA Tour players, they can do wonderful things with it. Meanwhile, Rose Alex Force misses the fairway by uh, maybe five yards to the right-hand side. His ball was so deep, I was standing right on top of it and couldn't see it. Uh, he did good just to get it in the bunker. It was a difficult bunker shot. He had to risk taking it up into the first cut and then having the ball bleed back down to the right, uh, played it a little short, and, and didn't make that putt. But he also hit a whale of a six iron into that par 3 16 hole to convert a birdie. I mean, you don't sure. see many birdies to that back right hole location. He responded in, in every way he could. Like I said, he needed to make one of the last two putts that he had, and he made neither one on 17 and 18. Fred Albers joining us from PGA Tour Radio and Sirius XM here on Sports Talk as we continue following the U.S. Open yesterday. I want to ping around to some other golfers. Rory McIlroy tied for fifth. He won the RBC Canadian Open last week, or a couple weeks ago. It seems like he's been playing some really, really great golf in the past couple months. His ball striking just wasn't there this week. And, you know, everyone uh, who doesn't follow golf uh, very closely will say, you know, Rory's a bad putter. Rory's not a bad putter. He's dramatically improved. He's top 40 on the PGA Tour in strokes game putter. And he putted great this week. I mean, he kept himself in the tournament with an outstanding putting round on Saturday. But the ball striking wasn't there. And uh, on Sunday at the RBC Canadian Open a week ago uh, up in Toronto, uh, he had sketchy wedge play up until Sunday. And then on Sunday, he made a little modification, took spin off the ball, and was tremendous with his wedging. Uh, that's just been carry over here in, into Boston. And once again, it, it's a it's a top 10 finish for, for Rory McIlroy uh, to go along with, with top 10s at the Masters and at the PGA uh, with, without uh, a championship. And he's without a championship in some eight years now since he won the, the PGA at Valhalla. So I imagine it's a, it's a frustrating week for Rory. You have to go back and figure out what he's doing wrong, what he's doing right. And uh, credit to Matt Fitzpatrick two years ago while everyone was kind of rolling their eyes at Bryson DeChambeau at Wingfoot. And he just got so massive and so big that can't possibly laugh. Uh, Injury-prone. And the critics were right. You know, uh, Bryson swung so hard that he did run into an injury, and he has been compromised for the last uh, half year. But Matt Fitzpatrick looked at what Bryson DeChambeau did and said, listen, uh, the key to winning out here, I'm giving up too many yards off the tee. I've got to get away, find a way to get longer. So, he went and changed his diet, changed his workout, changed his mental approach. He was this skinny little kid two years ago. I mean, he is a stout little fire plug now. He put on 20 pounds of muscle, fit uh, as a butcher's dog. And I mean that he is carrying the ball 300 yards now. That is a huge difference between hitting five arms into greens and seven arms, or wedges instead of seven arms. So he diagnosed the problem, attacked it, and came out with the correct solution. I know Rory is continually working with his team, mentally, physically, dietitian. So far, he's played great golf. He just hasn't been able to win, so he has to continue to try to find that winning formula. Someone else who's been playing great golf, Scotty Scheffler, the Dallas product, the Masters winner, top-ranked golfer right now. There's a good argument that we could be talking about him right now. We could have been talking about him for the U.S. Open yesterday. Uh, it, it just seemed like he struggled when it, came, uh, when it came to holes 10 through 14 all weekend long. He just couldn't get out of that funk uh, from those, those uh, four holes. Yeah, those are really hard holes. I thought 10, known as Himalaya, blind two ball over. Uh, a narrow gap of granite outcroppings to an elevated green 
That was a par five when Curtis Strange won here back in 88. Those are just really difficult holes. Uh, he certainly played well enough to win. Uh, if he wins, uh, we're talking about a Jordan Speed 2015 type here for Scotty Shuffler. And by the way, Scotty very much remembers qualifying for his first USDA event at El Paso Country Club, the Junior Am. Nice. Uh, so he has, he has fond memories of, uh, of El Paso. And uh, he particularly remembers Jerry Pelletier, uh, Jerry, an assistant club pro out at uh, El Paso Country Club and the son of, uh, of head professional Mark Pelletier. So uh, he played with Jerry that week. And uh, Scotty very much remembers El Paso, El Paso Country Club, uh, which started his USDA career. That's great. I love that. I love that connection right there. Matt Fitzpatrick, he will all, he won the U.S. Amateur at the Country Club in Brookline for full circle moment when he wins yesterday. Uh, somebody who's won three, who's been on part of three Ryder Cup teams. He's uh, won seven times on the European Tour and just two top ten finishes in the majors. So yeah, for Fitzpatrick, just kind of a full circle moment, uh, cementing his name into the the majors and also winning the U.S. Open yesterday. Kind of full circle after winning the the amateurs. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And just to complete the circle, uh, 109 years ago, Francis Lamette, a, uh, an unknown amateur who lives right across the street from the country club, whose house is still there then, that I went over and, and saw and took a tour of, stood in Francis' bedroom, which looks out over that 17th hole. He defeated the best players in the world in a Saturday morning playoff. That would be Harry Varden and Ted Ray, a pair of Englishmen. And now more than a century later, it was the Americans that fell to the Englishman, and the English win the U.S. Open, whereas 109 years ago it was the young American who won. Now it's the young Englishman. You are correct. He is the only player outside of Jack Nicklaus to win a U.S. amateur and a U.S. Open on the same golf course. Jack Nicklaus did it at Pebble Beach. Now Matt Fitzpatrick uh, at the Country Club. And not only did he win the amateur, uh, when he came here as an 18-year-old, uh, he was the British boys' champion. He enters the, the U.S. amateur before enrolling at Northwest and his brother Alex uh, caddied for him that week. The whole family came over. Alex was here, didn't caddy for him. Uh, but he stayed, Matt Fitzpatrick did, stayed with the same host family and slept in the same bed that he did nine years ago in 2013. So you talk about completing the circle. That's a really good pickup on, on your part because uh, it is 360 degrees. Um, now we look ahead to the Open uh, a month from now, pretty much. Some really great tournaments in between from the PGA side of things. Uh, you got the Travelers, got the John Deere Classic, and then uh, even the Genesis Scottish Open in between. But you look ahead to the Open Championship. Colin Morikawa is the defending champion of this one out in St. Andrews. What can we expect just kind of a month out of this one and, and uh, a, 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 what could be a really contentious leaderboard if uh, the U.S. Open was any indication of what, what we could expect competition? Wise. So the Open Championship is at St. Andrews, and any time it's there, it's a huge special event for both plates of golf. But not only is this the Open, it's the 150th anniversary of the Open Championship. So this is just massive. Any golfer that can be there is going to try to qualify for this. Uh, there is talk that if they get calm conditions, as short as St. Andrews plays, that someone could shoot 59 at the old course. If that happens, you're going to have a huge backlash the talk will back the ball. Equipment's too good. Uh, the, the, the old courses have, have become outmoded, outdated. Uh, the country club is, is the oldest country club in the United States. It certainly had this week. But St. Andrews is not long, and its defense is the wind. And if the wind does not blow, and occasionally you get those perfect windless summer days at St. Andrews, 
scores are going to be very, very good. Fred Albers again from PGA Tour Radio and SiriusXM joining us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Fred, thank you so much for all the time today. Great insight and uh, can't wait for the next time we get a chance to talk to you. Absolutely. I have been traveling so much and I am so happy to be on my way home to El Paso. I'm here for a week before I'm out to John Deere. So it'll be back. Good to be back in the sunset. Well, welcome back to El Paso. And again, thanks so much, Fred, for all the time today. Absolutely. Thanks for asking. All right. That's Fred Albers joining us on the phone lines as we continue to take a time out right now. When we come back, more phone calls, more tweets as Sports Talk continues right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right. Welcome back to Sports Talk. Time to open up the phone lines. 915-505-6009 is the number to get into the program if you'd like to get into Sports Talk today. Now's the time to do it. Thank you so much to all the great guests we've had on. Man, it's been a busy, busy uh, first uh, almost hour and a half. We're going to get busier in our last hour talking to Dr. Scott Stein. He's joining us from the the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. He's their new newest president, so he'll be uh, joining us here to talk about the, uh, the banquet coming up and all the different things going on with the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, here this week. Uh, also want to mention, man, there's been so much NBA news, it's crazy. The season ends today. Uh, the Golden State Warriors celebrate and uh, they have their parade for uh, winning their NBA championship. But man, today we, we got the news that Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets are at a standstill. That's right. Kyrie is looking at a $36.9 million player option for next season. He has the future in his own hands. He can, on, on June 29th, it has to be on or before June 29th, that he either opts into that uh, player option for next season or he declines that player option and becomes an uh, unrestricted free agent. Now, it, what's real interesting is uh, Ke- the Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets are still going through this bit of turmoil. Turmoil. But overall of this is Kevin Durant, his good friend. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant decided to link up together in Brooklyn and uh, you know develop this team out there with the Nets. However, things haven't gone as planned, I mean, just to say the least. this uh, There's been a lot of turmoil. The two have never really played with each other. They tried to add a third star in James Harden to the trio, and uh, we all know how that ended up. James Harden broke up, and he, he wanted to be away from the Brooklyn Nets. Um some have rumored and speculated that it was uh, Kyrie Irving's stance against the vaccine. Uh, you know, you don't really know what kind of truth really, um, what, what really truth was out there with the Brooklyn Nets and their debacle. But nonetheless, Kyrie Irving, Ke- Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, all three of those guys could not be playing for the Brooklyn Nets by the time next year actually starts, which is just uh, you know crazy to me to even think about because we were talking about this trio as being one of the best uh, big threes we've seen in in NBA history when it first was assembled, which I thought was outlandish at the time. Now you're really looking back on it and saying, gosh, this this team really never even met the smallest goals that it had sought out to try to achieve. This summer, Kyrie Irving and the Nets have four different options. Number one, Kyrie can exercise his player option. Number two, he could test free agency next summer, agree to that max contract extension with the Nets for five years, and get around $250 million. Problem is... And the Nets going to actually pay him that money? Yeah, that's that's going to go with a no. So I'm going to go with option three. Sign for less and with a and try to get a path to get out if he wants to eventually with the Nets. I don't see him doing that. I don't see him electing to go for less money with Brooklyn to try to play more. I, I don't see that happening on Kyrie's side. So if Brooklyn's not going to pay him the, the money that he wants, if Kyrie is not going to settle for less, then here's another option. 
The point guard could just walk away and hit the open free agent market. Uh, Today, Sham Sharania reported that there are three teams who are currently really interested in Kyrie Irving. Number one being, well, you shouldn't be surprised out of this one whatsoever, the Los Angeles Lakers, who at this point, they'll take anybody. They'll take John Wall. They'll take, you know, Miles Bridges. They'll take whoever is out there and available. Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier. They'll take anybody who's available right now to try to get rid of that uh, Russell Westbrook contract. And think of Russ, however you want to think of him, he's just, uh, you know, he doesn't have it anymore. And uh, at least with the Lakers, I don't see a path to success for Russell Westbrook if he reinvents himself and goes somewhere else where he's kind of more of a pass-first point guard, maybe does it all with the rebounding and things like that, I could definitely see him having a bounce-back point of his career. But not here with the Lakers. You look at another team that Sham Sharania mentioned as a possible destination for Kyrie Irving, the New York Knicks. Wow, a very interesting one right there. If that ends up being the case, uh, the Knicks have a lot of free uh, cap space this offseason. They can do a lot of things with sign-in trades on guys with expiring deals. Not something you're going to be real excited about if you're Brooklyn, but maybe Kyrie is nice enough to throw Brooklyn a bone and do kind of like an opt-in sign-and-trade deal. The last team who's available or who is possibly showing interest in Kyrie Irving is the Los Angeles Clippers. So you kind of look coast to coast, right? It's the two big markets on either side of the coast. It's do you, Does he want to be a Nick? Does he want to go out and, and join the Los Angeles Clippers? By the way, with the, the Clippers, I find it hilarious. Um, people already ready to crown the Los Angeles Clippers Western Conference champions. When we haven't seen Kawhi Leonard and Paul George be on the floor for the same time and for a long time. I mean, since they've been with the Clippers, that return on investment really hasn't paid off for Steve Ballmer and company out there with uh, the Clippers and what he's uh, what he's you know dealt away to try to acquire the two stars in Kawhi and, and Paul George. Nonetheless, if they add a, a third guy to the mix, they've got a lot of guys they could send off to Brooklyn who could really entice the Nets to try to deal him away. You can send Terrence Mann. You can have a package that really centers around guys like Luke Kennard and Reggie Jackson where you have guys with a lot of salary cap behind them and then maybe try to deal, uh, you know, Kyrie and, and and you know get Kyrie in exchange in that deal. My biggest thing is, does, can Kyrie coexist with Kawhi, who hardly plays games, who with uh, with Paul George, who's injury riddled? I mean, Kyrie Irving doesn't play full seasons. We know this uh, to be the case. So I, I go back to the Lakers, and I kind of I, I kind of think this might be the best fit. I, and I I say this begrudgingly because I I don't know what the end goal is. Like, do the Lakers think they can win a title with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Kyrie Irving? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you're giving getting a whole season of a healthy AD or a healthy LeBron. Um, that's the biggest issue that I have. And Kyrie, on top of that, he's missing games left and right. So I, I have more questions than I do solutions and answers when it comes to the news today from Kyrie Irving. Uh, my biggest thing, and I've said this since he departed from Boston, I would just steer, steer clear. I mean, I, I like Kyrie as a player. I think I can respect him as one of the most gifted, if not the most gifted, um, guards who can just handle and facilitate and finish at the rim that maybe we've ever seen. The shot that he had in 2016 in the NBA Finals could be one of the best shots we've ever seen in the postseason play when it comes to NBA. But I still have red flags all over the place with Kyrie Irving. And it starts with when he departed from Cleveland and ended up with Boston at, you know, via, the, via the trade. I, was, I had a lot of red flags on just his commitment to basketball and his commitment to teammates. But, you know, 
there have been teams who have shown us left and right that they are willing to take on a, a superstar like Kyrie Irving because they'll deal with the headaches. They'll deal with the off the court stuff that he brings to the table. But what they won't what what they won't uh, you know be upset about is the fact that Kyrie Irving is going to sell you you uh, definitely sell you um, merchandise all across the board, make your team more relevant. And also put you in a really good place in the postseason because uh, if I'm if I have a postseason run, I, I of course want Kyrie Irving on my team. Um, he's fantastic in what he does. Biggest thing is how available will he be? Our telephone number nine one five five zero five six zero zero nine to get into the show. Six hundred ESPN El Paso also on Twitter and six hundred ESPN El Paso dot com. Want to also mention tonight is Game Three of the Stanley Cup Finals. Man. Colorado has taken a commanding 2-0 lead in this one. Can Tampa Bay do it at home? That's my biggest question. Um, you know, the, the biggest storyline going into the series, could the Lightning uh, make it a trio of titles under their belt? Can the Avalanche, the best team in the regular season, can they cap it off with a Stanley Cup finish? It's, this is going to be a big one tonight. Can Really, my biggest question for tonight is can Tampa Bay swing the series a little bit and kind of put things more in their favor? I, I'd be really surprised if uh, we don't see a nice bounce-back game from the Lightning after being throttled 7-0 in a Game 2 situation against the Avalanche. Now, that one, Colorado just looked utterly dominant. What's going to happen tonight? That's my biggest question. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this Game 3 Stanley Cup Finals and the puck will drop at 6 o'clock. We'll give you updates on this one. I um, also want to touch on some local news today. El Paso Locomotive FC earned a point on the road with a huge 1-1 tie against Detroit City FC. Now, this is interesting because, number one, those who woke up early on Saturday morning, you got your coffee, got the breakfast ready, and then you had a nice... Uh, 10 a.m. kickoff for El Paso Locomotive FC on ESPN. That was the coolest thing. Like, you know, locally we had talked about this last week, but now the fact that, um, you know, Saturday rolls around, social media is getting really excited about this all across uh, all across the board from my feed. Um, I, I saw a lot of different people both, you know, in town or outside of the city who were checking in on the game and saying that they were just uh, thrilled that El Paso Locomotive were actually on uh, nationally t- uh, national television. And that was actually the first ever USL matchup that was televised on the main ESPN network, which is really, really cool to, to know that El Paso Locomotive FC was a part of that. Um, also want to mention with this story, uh, you had Eric Calvillo, who scored the lone goal for the locomotive, and then you had four dominant sta- saves from goalkeeper Evan, Evan Newton um, to really just keep this game in check. Uh, it was first Detroit City who struck first. They had that one nothing lead, and then uh, Eric Calvillo scored the lone goal to, eat, to tie it up in the second half. Man, it was just uh, a very, very exciting... Excuse me, that was still in the first half. No score in the second half, but just a really exciting finish for the Locomotive FC for the first time ever, a regular season matchup being broadcast on ESPN. So, hey, credit to them. A tied matchup against Detroit City FC. Our telephone number, 915-505-6009 to get into the program. We're also at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter if you'd like to check in there. That is definitely the way to do it. Um, Want to mention yesterday, Las Vegas beat El Paso 4-3 to on Father's Day. El Paso 
did put the tying run on third at the bottom of the ninth on Saturday on Sunday, and they still lost to the Aviators. Um, in this one, you you had um, you you know uh, you look at actually their next series. El Paso takes on Sacramento. We'll have you covered tomorrow. No game tonight for the El Paso Chihuahuas. We'll have you covered tomorrow. Seven thirty-five is the first pitch out in Sacramento. Going over to some more news, um, we talked a little bit about the NBA. This week is the NBA draft. It's actually taking place, I I believe it's uh, Thursday uh, afternoon, and uh, the Orlando Magic. They've got the number one overall pick. They still don't really know what they're going to be doing with that first overall pick. I mean, I have no clue what they're going to do, but they they have three options. Three of the top candidates in the NBA draft as far as prospects goes. Number one, Auburn's Jabari Smith. Man, I think this guy has a chance to be one of your premier knockdown scorers in the NBA. He can kind of pick his pick and choose his shots. Um, I liked what he did, and I'm, I'm a big fan of his. You also look at Gonzaga's Czech Holmgren. He met with the Magic. He kind of fits their personnel. Uh, personnel. He's a six foot ten four. He can kind of stretch the floor. He hits three pointers like crazy. And with uh, Chet Holmgren, you might not be looking at him uh, to really make a huge difference when it came to uh, w- w- with a huge difference when it came to uh, uh, what he did for the team. But at the same point. I, I look at Chet Holmgren, and it's his upside that really strikes me as, as something that could be uh, big for the NBA draft. And, and lastly, Duke's Paulo Banchero, uh, Banchero he's, he's a somebody who's just that knockdown scorer for the Blue Devils all tournament long. I thought as the tournament continued, he got better. And I, frankly, if I had to choose out of the three, I'm still taking Paulo Banchero because I think that he could be that guy you can rely on in a big, uh, big time situation. Uh, Bancaro is somebody who really helped the Blue Devils through their NCAA tournament run, and he's a proven scorer. If I'm Houston at number three and I see Holmgren and Jabari Smith taken in uh, the first two picks, man, I think I may have gotten the best player on the board. So you've got OKC picking at two, and you've got Houston picking at three. Should be a really, really interesting uh, NBA draft as it as it gets through. Hey, we're going to take an early timeout right now. When we come back, more phone calls and tweets. Stay with us as Sports Talk continues right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk. Angel Munoz, Adrian Bratis here, filling in for Steve Kaplowitz. Time to jump out to the phone lines. Let's welcome on Gator Richard, who's joining us on the phone lines. What's up, Richard? How's it going, man? I'm not too bad. Hey, you know what I noticed on uh, all weekend, you know, they're doing like uh, the greatest father-son moments and all that. Oh, that's cool. Like on ESPN, right? They do like, you know, best father-son duo in, in sports and stuff like that. That's what you're talking about, right? Correct. Okay. Now, there's one, there was one I didn't hear all weekend, and that was the Von Ericks. Okay, okay. Explain. Are you familiar, you familiar with the Von Erichs? No, give it to me. Okay, we're talking wrestling now, okay? Oh, okay, wrestling. We're, we're talking like the dad was a world champion, the older brother was a world champion, the other brother became like a tag team champion, and later he was a champion. Couple oh, this brothers. is real wrestling. This is real wrestling right here. Yeah, yeah, not, not the collegiate wrestling. Okay, now... You know, it's kind of a sad story with Devon Eric. She had two brothers that like committed suicide. You know, these are all re- these are all brothers, and of course their their real last name was Atkinson, but you know they they all changed to Von Eric. You know, 
like the warrior, the rainbow guy, you know, all, all the, all the, uh, different, you know, pseudonyms these guys would use, you know, yeah. to promote themselves. But Devon Eric's hands down, right. That, that was a wrestling family and a bunch of brothers. I'm looking and, at it. The and, family and tree is amazing. Yeah. There's so, only one brother who's still alive right now, Kevin Von Erich. Yeah, that like I said, pretty sad story because, you know, some of these brothers, you know, one brother committed suicide and the other brother, like a couple years later, you know, was so depressed over the one brother committing suicide that Man. he ends up, you know, blowing his brains out. God, that's really tough. Gosh, I, I I did not know any of this right here, Richard. Well, I appreciate you telling this uh, this story to us on the radio as far as maybe some other names that we should remember as far as father-son duo. Uh, any of your favorites kind of father-son duo uh, sports other oh, than yeah. these? Well, well, yeah, you got the uh, uh, staying with that, that theme. You got, you know, Dusty Rhodes, his son, and then uh, Rocky Johnson, and then The Rock. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that that's the uh, you know, and then of course, you know, you start thinking, okay, who is the greatest? Not just in sports, and you you got to look at uh, MacArthur's and uh, and Roosevelt's. They had a father son, military wise, that you know, father sons that won uh, both of them won the Medal of Honor. Yeah, of course. That's a that's a huge one right so, there. Yeah, that, that's that's the highest you know military, um, of course, you know, honor you can receive in the United States. And then, you know, of course, one became president. The other one was you know supreme commander Pacific. Yeah. And then, but anyhow, I, I just figured I'd throw that out there. No, that's now, a that's a really you, good one, Richard. Hey, um, there there's some other good ones too. I'm looking at it right now. There's uh. You you can look at the Archie Payton and Eli Manning family tree, and then one once Arch gets into the college mix, I mean that's three generations of Mannings right there uh, playing football, which is, that would be the first of its kind in, in football, I would think. Uh, Bobby and Barry Bonds, that's another one that you could look at right right there. Of course, uh, the one that comes to mind right away is Ken Giff, uh, Griffey Senior, Ken Griffey Junior. Um, that that one I'm I'm real pumped about. Always uh, kind of reflecting back on Calvin and Grant Hill. We might see it in the NBA with LeBron and Bronny James if uh, Bronny James ever gets drafted once uh, he's eligible this year. But those are some really good ones right there. Appreciate that, Richard. Uh, remembering Father's Day, just talking about that. Uh, I'll tell you my favorite uh, father-son duo. It's Tim Haggerty, uh, actually, and, uh, and and Carson Haggerty, his son. Tim ha- uh, Tim Haggerty invited his son to tell jokes on Father's Day. Uh, we actually have the audio cued and ready for this. Voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas. Here's Tim Haggerty with his son. Uh, his son starts things off. Who wants to hear a joke? Okay, I'll hear a joke. Okay, so knock knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana who? Banana, I'm not peeling well. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loved that joke. I know everybody loves that joke. I mean, like, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you love that joke. Okay, only my daddy raised your hand. No, you no, like. Look, look at the control room. They're waving. See. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. okay. I can see that. Okay, here's the deal. People can hear you on the radio and on TV, but they don't hear you in the stands. So those people don't hear you. But people at home or in their cars are waving their, waving their hands. Oh. 
And a guy named Jason texts me, and, and uh, he's waving his hand at home. Okay. So it was a good joke. Don't worry. Okay. Do you know any others? No. What's what? the one with the tree and the leaves? Oh, okay. Um, what did the tree say to the wind? What? Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one, too. Okay, I got another one. Hey, cow, moo out the way. <laughs> hey, cow, moo out the way. That's, uh, oh my goodness, Tim Haggerty, his son, that's the best duo in Father's Day. We're talking about Father's Day. That's the best broadcasting duo right now. I'm, I'm thinking right now with father-son, as far as father-son goes. Uh, I'm so happy that Tim Haggerty, voice of the Chihuahuas, shared that on his social media. If you want to watch that actual like video, I think it's it accompanies it really nice, the audio real nice, because you see him look out. He's like looking for people who are raising their hands, and he can't find anybody. Carson can't find anybody. So Tim's just like, hey, look. They can't see you. I mean, they can't hear you down there. Those who are in their car, they're all raising their hand. But I just loved how Tim raises his hand. Carson's looking around, and he's like, I can't find him. My dad is the one who likes my joke. That's me. That's literally me. You know, I was producing the game, and if Carson is listening, I also raise my hand. There you go. So I love there we it. go. I love it. I, I like that. Hey, Pinky checks in on the show if uh, Gator Richard is going to talk wrestling. Ask him about the Funk family. All right. Well, that was a little too late there, Pinky, but I appreciate the tweet. He also says congratulations to Ken Lucero. Used to see him run at UTEP. Ask him what local high school meet was his favorite to run. Also checking in is Paul Reynoso. Let's bring the Cowboys preseason game to the Sun Bowl. Let's get it done, El Paso. Uh, That's coming from... Uh, that is actually coming from uh, Paul Reynoso. Eddie Morellos checks in. He liked the uh, Troy Aikman interview from earlier. If you want to meet Troy Aikman, he's actually heading out to um, Union Draft House at Sunland Park right now. So uh, if you're on the west side and you want to meet Troy Aikman, all you have to do is go to Sunland Park. Uh, it's Union Draft House out at Sunland Park. And uh, he won't be necessarily autographing things like he talked to us about today, but he will definitely you know, uh, be out there for photo ops. He'll be serving the eight beer. Um, So, yeah, people who want to meet Troy Aikman, just head on out to Union Draft House on Sunland. Um, Also want to mention, uh, again, we're we're going to be talking the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame Class of 2022. Dr. uh, Scott Stein, he'll join us live in studios, the president of the the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. He'll be talking about the class and everything that's going to happen this week as part of the banquet ceremony, which uh, takes place on Wednesday uh, evening. So, yeah, big, big news when it comes to the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Can't wait to have that conversation with Scott Stein. Um, also, more news uh, just to get to and, and to touch be- touch on. Again, the Locomotive and Detroit FC, a 1-1 stalemate. want to also t- mention that uh, we, found, we heard the news today that uh, Vanderbilt, recently Vanderbilt commit, uh, Keontae Kennedy, former UTEP guard, as most people know him as, he's actually decommitted. He won't be going to Vanderbilt after all. Uh, remember, Keontae Kennedy averaged 14 points, 6 rebounds, and shot 32% from beyond the arc this past season for the Miners. 
He uh, had to really take a big pause through the midpoint of his season because of an injury. Uh, And then Keontae Kennedy came back, and he was a huge help for the Miners uh, for that final stretch of the season. But, you know, he dragged out his decision on, you know, deciding on whether or not he should be with the Miners or if he should go elsewhere. Then he ends up, you know, leaving UTEP, enters the transfer portal, and just pretty quickly right right after that, uh, he ends up committing to Vanderbilt Things look good. I mean, he's going with Jerry Stackhouse. That's a program where you try to turn out uh, NBA talent. So there's a lot of, uh, I guess, recent pedigree when it came to the Vanderbilt program. You look at just some recent guys, Darius Garland, of course. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Scottie Pippen's son. He's he's also he's also a product of that team. He's about to be drafted in this year's NBA draft. Keontae Kennedy wanted to join that Vanderbilt team, but yeah, he decommitted from them. He um, is a possible, you know, there have been some rumors flowing around on social media right now as far as his uh, next landing spot. Some have speculated uh, he would make the jump to the American Athletic Conference from the SEC. And, uh, and some have also thought that maybe he wouldn't have that much playing time at Vanderbilt. They have a lot of guards on their team as it is, and it uh, might be tough for Keontae Kennedy to break through and find that playing time. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I feel like, you know, in today's world of college basketball, having the ability to commit to a college, then decommit, and then, you know, go off to another school, it's just, it, it's a lot. It, it's a lot to follow. And, and, you know, as a media member, I'm sure for fans, they just, they, they tune it out because they hear the word Keontae Kennedy and they think, oh, yeah, well, that guy left the pro. Program. We, we don't need to keep tabs on this kind of guy, but it's just, you know, this is just one of those running examples of the, the bigger picture, which is the transfer portal messes everything up across college basketball. It, re- it really does. It impacts things on all levels. And when you have something like this, like the transfer portal, it really just gives a lot of flexibility to the players themselves. But when you look at the, the teams, the coaches and stuff, it doesn't give them a lot of flexibility. In fact, it requires those schools and coaches to be flexible themselves because if Keontae Kennedy wants to hop out and say, hey, I'm decommitting from this program, he can. He has that. He has all the power to do something like that. So, yeah, just interest, interesting nugget that just popped in today, learning that uh, he had decommitted from the UTEP basketball program, I mean, excuse me, from the Vanderbilt basketball program, and uh, Keontae Kennedy back on the transfer market. If you're asking yourself, well, could he come back to UTEP? I would say the the odds are very, very unlikely. I mean, you, you leave a program like UTEP, UTEP fills up their scholarship allotment. There's just no there's no spot right now for Keontae Kennedy. And, and it's just going to be is what it is kind of situation right now. Um, Want to hit on a, a quick baseball topic today. Uh, we heard the news that uh, Manny Machado, he exited yesterday with a sprained ankle. I guess that's a little bit better news than what people initially thought with the Padres, if you're a Padres fan. Uh, but the left the star left third baseman, um, he left yesterday's loss to the Rockies. He injured that left ankle. All he tried, to, he was like running to first base, and then he tumbled um, to try to beat an infield grounder. Uh, it just, it was a weird. I saw the video. the The fall was awkward. Just everything about that was just an awkward move, and his leg appeared to turn awkwardly as he tried to re- uh, get to first base in time. Uh, struggled to put weight on the ankle, and then um, those X rays came back negative. So you know, after the loss, there was just it was a, a lot of like, hey, we'll wait and see approach. 
approach from the, the, the Padres. And then today we hear that it is just an ankle sprain. So, yeah, huge, huge news for the Padres. If you're a Padres fan right there, uh, you're, you're going to be happy to know that Manny Machado won't be gone for too, too, too long um, with this uh, right ankle sprain. Hey, we're going to take a timeout right now. Hour number three is right around the corner. Scott Stein joining us here in our Lubin Go studios as Sports Talk continues right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk. Adrian brought us along with Angel Munoz, taking you through a busy Monday afternoon here on Sports Talk, filling in for Steve Kaplowitz. Time to continue our conversation, talking about the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame and uh, what's to come here for the banquet that's set for Wednesday uh, evening. And joining us now is Dr. Scott Stein, the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame current president uh, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Scott, thank you so much for joining us here in studio today. Uh, just a lot to talk about this week as far as the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're super excited for this week. Oh, us too. We're, we're really excited as well. We've got a chance to visit with some of these living athletes, the coach administrators, some of the uh, different people who are being inducted into this year's uh, Class of 2022 Hall of Fame. Just a, a bigger picture, Scott. What what can you tell us about this Class of 2022 a, as a whole? God, we really got fortunate. It's a really good class. Um, we had a lot of good nominees and um, these are the ones who, who won, will be inducted, and they're all worthy, and all the nominees were worthy as well, but um, these guys are just, they're all-stars in each of their own categories. They're incredible. Now they'll be Hall of Famers. Most definitely. So things get underway tomorrow, really. There is a, uh, a news conference taking place out at the Radisson Hotel. Uh, this is a, th- those are always interesting. Those uh, kind of the press conference uh, interviews because you get a chance to get everybody together all at once. At that point, the class who's being inducted. What? How did that? How does that usually go um, for all the inductees? I think it's great. It's it's a cool opportunity for them to uh, to speak and and uh, be in the press and tell a little bit about themselves, and they'll be interviewed. Um, so all the inductees will be there. Um, this year we're also honoring, uh, it's the 50th anniversary of Title IX, so we're honoring the first women's basketball team at UTEP and uh, volleyball team, and they'll be at the press conference as well. Oh, that's excellent. And, and we were talking about this off air, and uh, the UTEP uh, the women's basketball team and the volleyball team will be inducted into this year's 2022 UTEP Athletic Hall of Fame. So it's really awesome that you all are honoring them as well as part of the 50th anniversary of Title IX, so that they will also be honored. That's a, that's a really special thing right there to honor here in El Paso. Yeah, we're excited. I, I think it's really neat. Um, obviously, women's sports have come a long way since then, but... Um, I mean, it, it's awesome to be able to honor these women. And, and one of our very own, a lot of people don't know, Wayne Thornton was the assistant coach on that team. Um, oh, we know. He's, he's too modest. He won't talk about it. But, I mean, that's pretty <laughs> cool to be the first women's basketball coach. I, I agree. Did he tell you the same story about how he threw t- Tootsie Rolls in the stands and he got <laughs> exactly. everybody excited? Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. We, we love Wayne. Hey, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about some of the people who are being inducted into this year's um, El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. I, I, I want to start off in the living athlete category and just kind of talk about some of the people who are being inducted into this as well. Let's first start with uh, Dr. Jim Bowden, who is a graduate of Eastwood High School. Now, uh, the fact that I, that one of the things I love to highlight with Dr. Jim Bowden is the fact that he was part of the state title championship team uh, for the Eastwood Troopers back in 1976. So then he played for the Miners, played for legendary head coach Don Haskins, and had a nice career with the Miners. I, I mean, Dr. Jim Bowden, 
He, he's done it uh, at, at a very high level when it comes to high school basketball and college basketball here locally. Yeah, Jimbo Jimbo should have been in a long time ago. Um, I always wanted to nominate him, and he, he's so modest. He kept saying, no, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And finally, somehow, uh, Pat O'Neill was able to talk him into it. And um, I knew he would, he would get in if he just got nominated because – that guy does so much. I mean, besides, like you said, winning the state championship, I think he might have been the MVP, too. I know he was All-State that year. And then to play for Haskins for four years. And then besides all that, all the community service that he does that goes unnoticed, he is constantly doing stuff for for either children or dentistry or any community service. And then what a lot of people don't understand is or don't know is he's a great athlete. He... Um, ran marathons, he was a triathlete, but he not only ran them, he, he would win in his category and, and finish high. So he's an incredible athlete. Oh, I, I agree. And uh, you look at, let's, uh, you look a little bit as far as his body of work and his career, Dr. Jim Bowden, you just don't see too many El Pasoans star at the high school level locally and then translate it to UTEP. I mean, you'll, you'll see a walk-on here and there, and, and you'll see some players try to work their way locally at, at UTEP from the local ranks. But to do what he did, win at the at the state title level, and come to UTEP when it was, uh, I, I would say, at its peak, I, I mean, as far as basketball, that really says a lot about him. Yeah, I agree. And then, uh, of all people, Hask- to play for Haskins, I mean, that's right. a legend in himself. And yeah, I, I was fortunate enough. We used to have a basketball. Well, we used to play in leagues before, but the uh, El Paso Dennis used to have a charity game against ex-UTEP players, and that was always a lot of fun. So I got to always play with Jimbo with that in the city leagues. But um, yeah, it, it just he's a great basketball player and just a good, good person. Let's talk a little bit about Stephen Lee. Uh, this is a name that a lot of people remember locally because he was the star running back at Austin High School back in 1986. He led the state, the state of Texas in rushing yards, tw- uh, 2,625 yards and 29 touchdowns. He's currently the head coach for the girls' varsity basketball team out of Pebble Hills High School, and he's a fantastic coach. I'll, I'll tell you, Scott, like I, I've uh, seen his program from afar and realized how, how good of a program he's built there. So he had success at the varsity high school football level, and now he's having success coaching at the varsity high school basketball level. Yeah, he's he's a stud. I want to say he might hold a record that Aaron Jones didn't even break. Uh, I don't know if it was a single game rushing record because I know he had the rec- record of 419 yards in one game. I mean, that's unheard of. Oh man, that's video game yeah, type numbers. I mean, yeah, and and then he was. Uh, like uh, all, I don't know what you want to call it. All Angelo State University, he made their like Hall of Fame or whatever. I mean, just a great athlete. And like you said, he's now he's a great coach. I've heard the story with him that he had offers from everybody. You can name a school and he had an offer from them. But I heard, and and I'm, we're going to bring on uh, Coach Lee on tomorrow on the show to talk about this. But I've heard that. He just really found himself at home when it came to Angelo State and, and really wanted to succeed there. I, I'm curious to know how that story went, but for someone like Stephen Lee, just utterly dominant when you think about high school football players back in the 80s here in El Paso. Yeah, I'm surprised too why he went to Angelo State. I've never asked him. I need to ask him about that. 
Yeah, that would be an interesting one to know. Uh, hey, Ken Lucero, he had a tough decision when he was a senior at Coronado High School. Run track and field or go into basketball. Safe to say he, he made the right choice, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, he his the I guess his siblings uh, ran cross country for uh, Coach Denver at, at Coronado. And uh, he had bugged him and they bugged him to run cross country. And he's like, no, basketball's my sport. And I don't know what, what how he thought of just, okay, I'll run tra- cross country my senior year. And then look what he did. God, you know, who's to say what he would have done had he run cross country all four years at Coronado? Right. I mean, we, we had talked about that when, he, when we brought on Ken on the show. But it's interesting to know that you have Dr. Jim Bowden, a local product, local standout from Eastwood. And then you have Ken Lucero, a local product, local standout for Coronado High School, both of them excelling in their respective sports. That's really cool to have that local tie-in for the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. It really is. I mean, we love having El Paso people, obviously. Um, one of the rules, too, is you have to have lived in El Paso 10 years. But, I mean, these guys did and still do, and, you know, UTAP, everything El Paso. Yes, and with uh, Ken Lucetto, another person who is now translating what he did in track and field, now he's a, a successful cross-country and track and field head coach out there at America's High School. So you understand, you get the, the knowledge that you had at the um, high school level, at the college level, and then they're translating it and wanting to teach it to youngsters. I, I think that's a great thing right there for uh, Ken Lucetto and, and some of these other people who have uh, gone on to coaching from the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. It is, and they all just want to give back and, you know, and teach and coach, and that's part of the Hall of Fame as well, is people that want to give back to the community. Most definitely. Uh, Let's move into the coach and administrator category. Uh, Let's start off with David Moore, the uh, legendary head coach at Clint High School. This is this is one that you could just look at his accolades and everything he accomplished with the Clint Lions, and it, it, it takes multiple pages, Scott, to look at all the different things that he he brings to the table. Uh, but I particularly look to 1992, where Clint le- uh, went to the Final Four of the state playoffs. They won 11 district titles, so just utterly dominant when it came to Clint basketball and David Moore. Yeah, and and then on top of that, he was a great golf coach and and took you know golf teams to championships. He's, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't really get to meet him or know him until this year, and he's really a nice guy. But God, what an excellent career as a coach! Really, I, I agree with you on that. And Wright Stanton, um, you you talk about somebody who in David Moore who coached basketball and golf. You look at Wright Stanton, just a, a dominant coach when it came to local swimming. Uh, several club teams in El Paso, numerous championships with teams that he's coached, and then he's actually coached several individuals who've gone on to swim at the college level. So he's really been a, a, a fine instructor in the swimming ranks. And when you talk about local swimming. You, you definitely know the name Wright Stanton. Yeah, and he, he coached some locals, like you said, that uh, went even further, like Jake Hartley went to the Olympic trials, uh, Lara Jackson. I mean, he's coached a lot of um, world masters and uh, world championship uh, swimmers too. He's a stud and swim coach for sure. 
now we, we switch over to the media supporter of athletics category, uh, and it starts with it starts and ends with Brian Kennedy, who's being inducted today. Uh, uh, excuse me, this uh, this time around for the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, Brian Kennedy, CEO of the El Paso Sports Commission, has just done so many things for the city of El Paso as part of the El Paso County Coliseum for multiple multiple years. Uh, part owner of radio stations across the city. What is what does Brian bring to the city of El Paso? Oh my God, that guy's he's so great for El Paso and all he's done um I, I, he's brought uh the bowling the open uh bowling congress championships here which bought so much money to el paso he did a uh, conference uh usa basketball tournament that's right he's done um just numerous activities for el paso to deal with sports he's just a great guy and he's done so much but um i i didn't realize he was also a, a bodyguard for Prince and Rod Stewart and uh, a helicopter pilot. That's a I, I didn't great. know any. He was like a military, you know, intelligence or whatever, but I never knew any of that. That's a great fact. I had no clue yeah, about that. That's a yeah. bit nice b- a bit of trivia right there for Brian Kennedy. Yeah. Uh, s- shifting it over to the official and trainer category. Oh, man, I loved having the conversation with Chris Sneed and hearing all the stories that he had. Now, if you, it's interesting, Scott, because if you're a younger person and you know the name Chris Sneed, you may have seen actually like one of those memes or like a blooper video or something uh, with somebody getting into the way of a referee. But when you look at the body of work that Chris Sneed has... It's a it's a really extensive body of work. Uh, his time in the SEC, his time in Conference USA. But my biggest thing is the fact that he can officiate both football and baseball at the college level. That's that's pretty special, right there. Yeah, that is amazing. And then, uh, you know, when he said he was in the SEC, I'm like, well, as much as we all hate to admit it, that might be the top football conference. So I'm sure it's the top, you know, referees as well and officials. Oh yeah, and and can you imagine all the work that and and climbing the ladder for Chris Snead as far as just becoming a, an official uh, official at that level at the SEC level? It's like you have to be ready at all times, really. Yeah, definitely, and and like you said, I mean, those guys are good athletes themselves. As part of the uh, posthumous category, Bruce Gordon is being honored uh, this year in the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame class of 2022. He was a track and field coach in this city for multiple years, uh, spent 17 years at Coronado High School, and uh, led the Thunderbirds to uh, multiple track and field championships. He passed away back in 2016, um, and uh, his his wife, Erlene Gordon, will be on hand uh, to receive this uh, this, award. class of 2022 honor what can you tell us about bruce gordon bruce was such a nice guy and when he got nominated he had so many kids that he has coached well they're adults now but that um came forward to speak on his behalf that he totally has mentored you know besides their sport just in life um you know he's just a great great guy and i'm I'm glad he he got in because he had been nominated a few times and uh but this year he got in, so I'm, I'm really happy for that, for his wife and family. Dr. Scott Stein joining us, the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame current president, as we continue here on Sports Talk. What can you tell us a little bit about the banquet and just kind of how the rundown will go uh, with the banquet itself on Wednesday? Uh, the banquet, we will, um, you know, obviously every inductee will give a speech uh, of five minutes, um, maybe tell us some more things that we don't know about them. Um We'll also, 
I'm, I'm thinking we're going to do something with the women's, the Title IX again. Um, the student-athletes, we I don't know what we've talked about yet on the radio, they're going to be um, honored the day before at the press conference. We sometimes had honored them in the past at the banquet, but this year we're honoring them at the press conference. Correct, and that's part of the Ray Sanchez High School Student-Athlete of the Year Award and then also where you honor the high school teams of the year. Uh, so that all is coming up this week as part of the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, Scott, just as we wind things down here on this conversation, for you personally, what's it like just seeing everybody out there at the banquet, just seeing everybody being honored and, and all the families get, gathering together for this uh, huge, huge event? It's a great feeling because uh, actually we sold out the banquet this year within like a couple of weeks. It was nice. sold out. Um, so we're talking about moving the facility because we're at the max already. Um, and once again, it sort of depends on the inductees because, like you said, they bring their families and friends. So, um, you know, certain inductees are going to bring a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, this year it's it's sold out really quick. And so... That's a great sign, and it's just neat to see all the people come out and support the the Hall of Fame. Well, I really appreciate you stopping by the Lubingo Studios today. Your insight has been awesome, and uh, hey, can't wait to to hear from you all, and can't wait for Wednesday to roll around for the banquet itself. We're excited to visit with some of the guests that we still want to bring on here from the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame of this year's class, but uh, Dr. Scott Stein, thank you so much for stopping by today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and thanks to El Paso. All right, uh, from Dr. Scott Stein over to Charlie One. Let's get to another traffic update, and then we'll get back to phone calls and tweets. The Sports Talk continues here on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk. Special thanks to Dr. Scott Stein for joining us here from the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. Again, they've got their big banquet coming up Wednesday. And uh, this should be a lot of fun. Tomorrow, the news conference, 3 o'clock out at uh, the Radisson Hotel Airport. They'll be honoring the class of uh, 2022. They'll be honoring the Ray Sanchez uh, the Ray Sanchez High School Student Athlete of the Year and the high school teams of the year. So going to be a lot of fun for the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame. It's Hall of Fame week, so we'll continue our conversations with uh, the inductees as the week continues ahead of uh, the banquet on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. All right, our telephone number, 915-505-6009. If you'd like to get into the show, that's 915-505-6009. Uh, also want to mention, right now, we've got some Stanley Cup at final action. It's Game 3, and the Colorado Avalanche lead the series 2-0. Uh, 16 minutes left here in the first period. No score between the Avalanche and the Lightning. Um, I'm curious to see how this one uh, really ends up. And uh, Gosh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this shakes up when it's all said and done can the avalanche make it 3-0 may really push uh, the the Tampa Bay Lightning to the brink of elimination or can the Lightning rally back in this series and come back uh, with a 2-1 deficit but still take a game at home want to bring this story up Mookie Betts is hoping that his latest stint on the I.L. Only lasts a few weeks. Yeah, that's that's right. This Dodgers star outfielder, he's out. He has a he has a cracked right rib, and it's his third time on the IL in the last two seasons. This is tough right here. And Mookie Betts was um, 
he was a little bummed out. He thought, you know, it was, it was sore Sunday before the the Dodgers faced the Guardians. He thought it was just a little bruise, and then over the next couple days, he realized that no, it's cracked ribs. Um, Dodgers manager Dave Roberts, along with Mookie Betts, they were hopeful on Sunday that he would be just sidelined for just uh, two weeks. But um, Betts was injured during the first inning of Wednesday's game against the Angels when he collided with Cody Bellinger, and uh, he was then scratched from Friday and Saturday's lineup. So it's been a week-long thing for Mookie Betts. Crack ribs is the reason he's on the the uh, IL. And uh, Mookie Betts, I mean, this is, again, somebody who is uh, the 2018 AL MVP, the Dodgers' leadoff hitter. He's third in the majors right now with 53 runs scored and has 17 homers, which is fourth in the NL. I mean, he's been outstanding this year. And just knowing that he's headed to the IL, that's a that's definitely a setback for the Dodgers right there. Um, now, it's interesting because Ken Rosenthal talked about it earlier, about how Dodgers could be looking at somebody like Trace Thompson, uh, who could be that replacement, or, or who could be helping uh, out at least for for the meantime. Um, now, if that's the case, uh, there have been some other names right there. Uh, you look at Eddie Alvarez, who is out in right field. That could be somebody who's uh, uh, thrown into the mix from Triple A. They could look bigger and maybe promote uh, Miguel Vargas, who is the the third base prospect, has ten homers and uh, an eight. 51 on-base percentage at AAA. That could be somebody that you look at for the Dodgers to promote from within. Uh, but yeah, I've heard the name Trace Thompson floated out there. Uh, he had an opt-out, was not going to get the, an opportunity with the Detroit Tigers, was not going to get an opportunity with the San Diego Padres. Remember, Trace Thompson was here in AAA El Paso for the Chihuahuas. Uh, and Instead, Trace Thompson, he's heading out to the Dodgers as, uh, yeah, that's going to definitely give them some outfield help with Mookie Betts on the IL. Our telephone number, 915-505-6009 as we get through a Monday edition of Sports Talk today. Uh, That's 915-505-6009. If you'd like to talk anything in the world of sports, now is the time to do it. Um, Really tragic news today. I I don't know if uh, anybody else out there has been keeping up with this story, but just a real tragic story at at a college basketball. Um, A college basketball player was killed and eight other people were wounded today in an early morning shooting out in a gathering in Harlem, New York. Um, This is Darius Lee, who is a senior at Houston Baptist in Texas. Uh, He was killed The university said he was just 21 years old, grew up in Harlem, attended St. Raymond High School for boys in the Bronx, and he was just home for summer break. And uh, the wounded included six other males, two females, police uh, told reporters today. And the investigation is ongoing. Police don't immediately have details about the gathering or possible suspects and what might have led to the shooting. A gun was recovered from the scene, and the New York Daily News reported that the gathering was just a cookout organized by uh, Harlem rapper Rich Reimer, who posted invitations on his Instagram, and Lee, who is a guard and a forward, played basketball at Community College in New York, and then he enrolled at Houston Baptist. He was scheduled to graduate in December with a bachelor's degree in sports management. Just a real tragic story uh, hearing about the killing today for uh, of Darius Lee, a senior at Houston Baptist University. So, uh, yeah, just 
tragic news right there. Um, I, I want to shift over, talk a, a little bit more about other sports and uh, other storylines going on right now. Let's talk a little bit more about the NBA and some offseason storylines. We mentioned the big Kyrie debacle from earlier in the show. Uh, Kyrie Irving right now at a standstill with the Brooklyn Nets and their front office. He's got a player option. The Brooklyn Nets can A, sign him to a long-term extension, B, let him walk and go to unrestricted free agency, C, a sign-and-trade, or or um, D, Kyrie can elect to opt into his own player uh, player option, and he could decide what he does next offseason. So a lot of options for Kyrie Irving right there. We touched on those. Let's talk a little bit about the Golden State Warriors. Today they had their, uh, their fifth title, uh, excuse me, their fourth title uh, parade out in San Francisco. Had a friend out there who's a diehard Golden State fan. He was out there for the parade, live in person. Um, there's just a, a not a lot going on with the Golden State Warriors as far as red flags go for next year. A fifth title, it'll definitely require some expensive decisions this offseason. I'm looking at Gary Payton II. That's somebody who uh, is definitely going to get paid in this offseason. You look at guys like Ke- uh, Kevon Looney, he is definitely going to get a raise by another team from just making $5 million this past season. And then you look a little bit further. Extensions with Andrew Wiggins. Extensions for Jordan Poole. Both of those guys are kind of a year or two years away from free agency. So those are the the two names that you might look at for the Golden State Warriors. Nonetheless, Golden State can just bask in this uh, finals win. They don't really have to worry too much about what the future until uh, until maybe October rolls around and they, they've kind of finished up partying and celebrating from this title. Uh, Lakers, I want to talk a little bit about them because they were mentioned with the Kyrie Irving rumors. Uh, when it, came, when it came, comes to the uh, Lakers and LeBron James, they don't have draft picks. They don't have salary cap space. They don't have flexibility. They have a new coach. Um, But you you don't really know what's going to happen with this team and how they decide to try to salvage what's left with this group. And I'm talking about the group of Russell Westbrook, uh, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. Darvin Ham is the new replacement. He was the Milwaukee Bucks assistant coach. He's replacing Frank Vogel as their head coach. But what do you do with Russell Westbrook? I, that's the biggest thing right right now. I'm looking at uh, when I'm looking at the Los Angeles Lakers. What do you do with Russell Westbrook? Do you hope that he get tries to get better and uh, maybe under Darvin Ham, he his uh, his game steps up a little bit? I, I would side with a big big shadow of doubt with that. Do you look over with um, you know free agency and you you kind of look and try to piece teams? Maybe a, a team looks at a st- uh, at somebody who's departing anyways for free agency, a la Kyrie Irving, and you rope him into a sign and trade deal with Russell Westbrook. So could be a possibility. I think it would involve a third team. It wouldn't involve Russell Westbrook playing with Kevin Durant, who left OKC uh, to get away from Russell Westbrook. And then, and then what? So, okay, maybe you deal away Russell Westbrook. Maybe you come to terms with a buyout or fill a new role for him. Then what? Do you sign Malik Monk? Do you keep uh, Kendrick Nunn? Do you uh, look and explore something drastic like a Anthony Davis trade? I mean, LeBron will be kind of the decision maker when it comes to what they do this free agency and who he wants to play with. But I, I'm still, I've got red flags all over the place with the Lakers. They have to prove me wrong this offseason for me to take them seriously next year versus me jumping in and and, uh, buying into some optimism with a new coach. So Lakers have a lot to prove. Let's uh, move over and talk a little bit about the Utah Jazz, a team 
which, by, by the way, we don't talk about whatsoever here on the show. Um, Utah Jazz have uh, always underwhelmed when it comes to the postseason as of recently, and um, the Jazz are dealing with a potential breakup of all-stars Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Now, five seasons together with those two, you can just tell. Those two just don't work well together. It, it's just a, 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 it's a relationship that is destined for a breakup. Now, do you deal do you deal away Donovan Mitchell, who's a rising star in the NBA? Do you send him over to a, a marquee team out there? I had some, I definitely had some concerns with uh, Donovan Mitchell and what he did this past postseason or what he didn't do. With Rudy Gobert, I have a lot of uh, concerns on his defense when it comes to the postseason because I think opposing teams just like attacking him, stretching him out to the perimeter, and trying to hit three pointers in his face. Rudy Gobert is a monster when it comes to the regular season. He's a great defensive player, does it all on the boards. Is he deserving of being paid upward of $35 million plus and, and up to $40 million when it's all said and done with his contract? No. No, no way. But Rudy Gobert is being paid that by the Utah Jazz, and as a result, the Jazz have to come up with a decision on what they do to reshape their team. I find it interesting that their CEO is Danny Ainge and somebody who is – kind of ruthless when it comes to trading athletes and, and tra- training some of his players. So uh, he's done it before where he's uh, you know gone off and, and traded away a, ca- a type of caliber player like a Donovan Mitchell and a Rudy Gobert. Let's see what he does with the Utah Jazz. Is it, it looks like this uh, marriage is destined for a breakup. How about the Dallas Mavericks? They acquired Christian Wood recently from the Houston Rockets. Now, Christian Wood is, is somebody very low risk for the, for the Mavericks. And for the Rockets, that just means that they want to go uh, and, and jump into Alperin Sengun, who was their 2021 first-round draft pick. They want to throw him into the mix as their starting four. The Rockets are in complete rebuild mode. They are trying to work and maneuver with some of their younger nucleus. I like their front office. I like their coaches. Uh, I think they have a a solid nucleus in place. I'm not telling you that the Houston Rockets are going to win the Southwest Division by any means, but I'm telling you that the Rockets are a team that uh, you you just watch as they uh, they quietly add pieces left and right. And they kind of dumped the pieces they don't want. And they didn't want six foot eleven Christian Wood, who is now heading to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, look, Dallas had to make a lot of moves this offseason. They have uh, Jalen Brunson, who's up to be paid. That's going to be a big, uh, I guess, internal debate between the Dallas uh, front office to decide whether or not he will return um, and, and be paid as such. The Villanova standout, who had a nice postseason run with the Mavs, is he going to be returning to the mix? Now, you look at Christian Wood. Slotted in on paper, the center power forward, he has a chance to become maybe the second best player on that Mavericks team. He's already probably the second most talented player on that team, averaging nearly 20 points and almost 10 rebounds through his past two seasons with the Rockets. But look, he's putting up big stats on a losing team. So how much can you really look into that? Uh, but I do look at a couple things with Christian Wood that I feel are valuable. He's only making $14 million a year, and that's the last year on his deal. Uh, they can maybe extend him for a bargain right now and try to lock him in with the Mavs. But if you're Dallas, you have to know that Christian Wood is your guy alongside Luka Doncic. The biggest thing this offseason for the Mavs is trying to assemble pieces that fit Luka's mold. And it's not necessarily getting that alpha, getting that second top player. No, you get those role players around him and you let Luka cook. I think that's the secret. And that's what we saw this past postseason. Um, 
they really just hit a brick wall when they faced the Golden State Warriors. They just really didn't have enough depth to to push past them. But um, in that deal, you had Boban Marjanovic, Marquise Chris, Trey Burke, Sterling Brown to Houston. And then uh, it just created a lot of roster flexibility for what uh, the Dallas Mavericks could end up doing. I still think they're, they have another move, maybe another two moves under their belt that they still need to accomplish. Uh, so my eyes are definitely on the Dallas Mavericks, just like my eyes are on the Philly and the 76ers. Oh, man, we talked about Kyrie and uh, the Brooklyn Nets front office. I think we're just a Sham Sharania story or an Adrian Wojnarowski tweet away from a very, very uh, tumultuous offseason with James Harden and the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, this could all be uh, irrelevant because we could be talking about uh, James Harden signing with a bigger or maybe even a short-term extension with the 76ers alongside uh, his his you know former uh, general manager and Daryl Morey who's now in the front office for the 76ers helping uh, making a lot of things uh, happen over there as the president of basketball operations does Daryl Morey decide to give James Harden that long-term extension or does he say hey we're gonna give you two years we're gonna pay you x amount of money it's gonna be a lot of money but we want you to stay here in Philly, and we want to build more players around you. I thought it was just disappointing as far as James Harden's playoff run. I, I didn't like how he played. I think that, he, man, if you look at value-wise and just who, what, what kind of player he is, I'd just be worried right now if I was a, a Philly fan and, Jay, and somebody who supports James Harden or Joel Embiid. It was a disappointing playoff run. Uh, Joel Embiid was arguably, well, he was the second uh, finalist for MVP this past season. Will Harden choose to opt into his $47 million player option, or will he go and explore free agency? This is the same James Harden who has uh, demanded the departure from two different organizations within the same year. He wanted to depart from uh, the Houston Rockets. Then he cho- he chooses to leave from Brooklyn. What's next? Does he decide that he's done with Philly? Does he want to go to another team, really? I, I have no clue what's going to happen here. Um, I'd If I was a fan of either Philly or Brooklyn, I'd way rather be Philly, just knowing that I've got Joel Embiid locked in. He's the face of my program. But still, I would not want to be uh, the in the Philadelphia 76ers front office this offseason having to venture and go through this uh, debacle that could be James Harden and uh, how much he will be paid next season. Hey, we're going to take a timeout right now. When we come back, we're going to close out the show. It's our final countdown right around the corner as Sports Talk winds down here on a busy Monday on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, welcome back. Final segment here of Sports Talk. If you'd like to weigh in, now's the time to do it. Now in 5505-6009, if you'd like to get into Sports Talk today, now's the time to do it for sure as we uh, continue and wind things down here on Sports Talk. Hey, I want to give a big shout-out to uh, it is uh, Eric Villa out in Spain right now. The for- Yeah, that's right. The former minor big man is uh, has just won a championship out in Spain right now for Basquet Girona, and that is a team out there in Spain. Um, they play in the, I guess it's the uh, the Spain Leb Gold League and uh, LEB Gold League. 
So, yeah, they just ended up winning the actual uh, championship, oddly enough. So I'm looking at Eric Villa's Instagram page today. It's at Eric Villa if you're on Instagram. You could just check out what Eric for Villa, by the way, if you're on Instagram. You could check out all the different things that have been uh, shared on social media. Now, the first thing that you might know if you uh, type up Girona, Basket Girona, you're going to notice a familiar face in the picture. It's not Eric Villa. It's Marcus Saul. That's right. Former NBA player Marcus Saul, brother of Pau Gasol. Um, he's actually the star player on this team. I, I was actually we kind of dove into this a little bit last week off air uh, and just kind of found ourselves in this little, uh, I guess, this little um, like uh, rabbit hole of trying to figure out who was on this team, what was going on. But yeah, that's the case. Eric Villa's on this group. Uh, helped uh, in this championship effort. He averaged eight points, four rebounds, and uh, almost an assist per game at the pro basketball level and playing in this uh, the Spain League. That's a huge accomplishment right there for the former minor big man in Eric Villa. And so, yeah, championship parade. You get a chance to see Eric Villa speaking. He's uh, atop different cars that are traveling through the city. Just seemed like a lot of fun out there in uh, in Spain. And uh, big shout-out to Eric Villa. We'll try to get him on the show to talk about this uh what, what's, what it's been like playing professionally in Spain and uh, what it's been like really uh, from this championship parade in itself. So we're excited about that conversation, hopefully coming up later this week with Eric Villa. Uh, also want to talk a little bit more. We were just uh, previously talking some NBA storylines, uh, but before we do that, real quick, want to mention that uh, right now Colorado has taken the one nothing lead against the Tampa Bay Lightning in, uh, in this Stanley Cup final. Now, this is big. This is a big game three. This is on uh, Tampa Bay's home ice, so they need to really try to win at home at all costs to try to salvage this series. And I'd be worried right now if I was a uh, if I was a Lightning fan because I'm I'm looking at the Colorado Avalanche. They haven't stopped. They haven't lost since the St. Louis Blues series. This team is really killing it right now. And uh, yeah, let's see if they're able to hold strong. If they're able to win this game. Yep, Colorado Avalanche, Tampa Bay Lightning. Let's see what ends up happening. First period action right now, eight minutes to go. Uh, and actually, Tampa Bay is on a power play. So let's see if they're able to get a goal here as uh, this game continues. Eight minutes left in the first period as uh, that one continues. Let's uh, ping back over, like I was just mentioning, back over to a couple uh, other NBA storylines as the offseason has officially hit. This is a... Uh, yeah, this is a big one right here. This is one I'm real excited about, uh, seeing how it unfolds. What's going to happen with DeAndre Ayton and the Phoenix Suns? Last year, the Suns were excited. It was their first NBA Finals trip in nearly 30 years. That, I was so high on this uh, Phoenix Suns team, thought they were going to win maybe even two titles with this nucleus. And now a year later, what's what's going to happen with this group? Second round exit against the Mavs. It was a blowout loss in Game 7. Uh, and the Phoenix Suns, who were the best team in all the regular season, completely uh, were outmatched in that second round loss to the Dallas Mavericks. Aiton was benched for most of the second half of that blowout game. And uh, he's somebody who was the former number one pick in 2018. Phoenix has a weird situation all across the board because number one, you're you're dealing with the Aiden situation, which is uh, it's obviously been over. It's been like a cloud over you the entire season. Sometimes it would be pushed away. Sometimes you thought maybe that he would get that extension with the Phoenix Suns, and now it just seems like it's uh, he's destined to be signed and traded. 
away from the Phoenix Suns, or maybe he ends up um, they they end up matching an offer sheet for him, but maybe he ends up getting traded anyways. It just seems like that relationship is also uh, destined to be broken up between DeAndre Ayton and the Phoenix Suns. We'll see what ends up happening. Or will Phoenix decide to uh, to maybe agree on a sign-and-trade deal to try to reshape the roster? Now, when you look deeper in the roster, you have an aging Chris Paul. Devin Booker's your best player on the team right now. Miles Bridges can show up in big situations, although I, I do have questions about him defensively after Luka completely cooked him. Um, I'm, still, I'm still bullish on the Suns as an organization as a whole. However... If uh, the bottom falls out here with uh, DeAndre Ayton, and then you start to see some uh, some negative moves left and right, maybe you've got a red flag when it comes to the Phoenix Suns. Who knows? This is going to be an unclear situation right here. Phoenix could easily just sign DeAndre Ayton to an extension and then keep him in their back pocket and decide to trade him later on but I'm not sure. Aiton wants max money. I don't know if the Phoenix Suns are willing to spend. Uh, I, I'm so fascinated as to this storyline and what's to come. A lot of, a couple other uh, free agents to kind of monitor their situation. Zach Levine from the Chicago Bulls. That's going to be an interesting one right there. He's He's expected to field some max offers from other teams, and I don't think the Bulls are willing to pay for uh, him at that level. Also don't know if Bradley Beal will um, – be a Washington Wizard when it's all said and done. The Wizards have a lot of, uh, man, they have a lot of problems on their roster. I, if I would, if I were the Wizards, I would try to deal away Kyle Kuzma now while he has the highest uh, value, and then I would kind of worry about the rest when it comes to Beal afterward. And then the last one, Jalen Brunson. That's a big one out of the Dallas Mavericks. We touched on him earlier. Does he stay in Dallas or does another team end up paying him big money? That's a Big free agency storyline to follow as the NBA offseason really hits. Uh, NBA draft right around the corner later this week. We're excited about some coverage that we'll be having for that. We'll bring on some different guests to talk about that. In the meantime, Tampa Bay just scored. It's a tie game, 1-1 with six minutes to go in the first period. This is going to be a good one. Stanley Cup Finals. It's uh, going on right now on ABC. But uh, for now, that'll do it for us here on Sports Talk Today. Special thanks to Angel Munoz for producing. We'll be right back at it tomorrow at 4 right here on 600 ESPN El Paso.